0: This is Jocko podcast number 85 with echo Charles and me Jocko Willink Good evening echo. Good evening. I Was given a very old man who could not or would not keep up with his countrymen Because he repeatedly fell and then simply lay there. I regularly had to lift him up and drag him forward thus I only reached the execution site when my comrades had already shot their Jews at the sight of his countrymen who had been shot my Jew threw himself on the ground and remained lying there I then cocked my carbine and shot him through the back of the head because I was already very upset from the cruel treatment of the Jews during the clearing of the town and was completely in turmoil I shot too high the entire back of the skull of my Jew was torn off and the brain exposed parts of the skull flew into sergeant Steinmetz's face this was grounds for me after returning to the truck to go to the first sergeant and ask for my release, I had become so sick that I simply couldn't anymore. I was then relieved by the first sergeant. Systematic murder. that's what we're talking about this is the Nazis final solution which was not always carried out in the relatively detached method often thought of when we think of the Holocaust because when we think of the Holocaust a lot of times we think of this big mechanism we think of trains we think of gas chambers we think of process we think of a massive bureaucratic machine that is doing the killing and, and maybe that in some way is easier for us to understand and that's why we focus on that piece it's easier for us to accept that but it wasn't all like that many lives were taken many murders committed by hand at close range point blank so what kind of monsters committed those atrocities those personal atrocities up close and personal murders that covered the murderers in the blood of their victims what what kind of men were those And how did they end up there and what can we do to prevent it from occurring again now to answer or at least try and come to some understanding we're going to explore a book that is called ordinary men reserve police battalion 101 and the final solution in Poland written by Christopher R Browning and that first excerpt that I read is from that book and it's from a soldier in the police battalion named August Zorn and that's actually a a pseudonym the names were changed for some of the Nazis in the book but the book is incredibly detailed in what happened and where these men were from and what unfolded and obviously this is gonna be a graphic episode and you know I actually wish I didn't have to talk about this I do I I really do I wish I could talk about nicer things I wish I could talk about pleasant things and we could just forget about all this horror But I there's the rub because even though it would be easier and more pleasant to talk about something nice the problem is that if we forget about these things then we forget about these things and if we forget we don't learn and if we don't learn about what humans can do and why they do what they do, then we can repeat our mistakes. And that is awful. So we go because we have to go. And we go back to the book. Just as the sky was beginning to lighten, the convoy halted outside Josefow. It was a typical Polish village of modest white houses with thatched straw roofs. Among its inhabitants were 1,800 Jews. The village was totally quiet. The men of Reserve Police Battalion 101 climbed down from their trucks and assembled in the half circle around their commander, Major Wilhelm Trapp, a 53-year-old career policeman, affectionately known by his men as Papa Trapp. The time had come for Trapp to address the men and inform them of the assignment the battalion had received. Pale and nervous, With choking voice and tears in his eyes Trapp visibly fought to control himself as he spoke the battalion he said plaintively had to perform a frightfully unpleasant task this assignment was not to his liking indeed it was highly regrettable but the orders came from the highest authorities if it would make the task any easier the men should remember that in germany the bombs were falling on women and children then he turned to the matter at hand the jews had instigated the american boycott that had damaged germany one policeman remembered trap saying there were jews in the village of yosifov who were involved with the partisans he explained according to two others the battalion had now been ordered to round up these Jews the male Jews of working age were to be separated and taken to a work camp the remaining Jews the women children and elderly were to be shot on the spot by the battalion having explained what awaited his men trap made them an extraordinary offer If any of the older men among them did not feel up to the task that lay before them, he could step out. Trap paused, and after some moments, one man from Third Company, Otto Julius Schimke, stepped forward. Captain Hoffman, who had arrived in Yosefov directly from Zakharov with 3rd Platoon of 3rd Company and had not been part of the officers' meetings the day before, was furious that one of his men had been the first to break ranks. Hoffman began to berate Shimki, but Trap cut him off. After he had taken Shimki under his protection, some 10 or 12 other men stepped forward as well. They turned in their rifles and were told to await a further assignment from the major so and we'll go into this but you've got a, a battalion three companies there's probably 500 men and we have they get this savage order that they're gonna go and shoot the women children and elderly on the spot in this village with pretty white houses and the commander this guy trap who obviously isn't comfortable with it he's got tears in his eyes when he's given this order he says hey if anybody doesn't want to participate you can step forward now and like 10 or 12 people out of 500 step forward the rest of them hold the line in this case going back to the book trap then summoned the company commanders and gave them their respective assignments the orders were were, were relayed by the platoon commanders two platoons of third company were to surround the village the men were explicitly ordered to shoot anyone trying to escape the remaining men were to round up the Jews and take them to the marketplace those two sick or frail to walk to the marketplace as well as infants And Anyone offering resistance or attempting to hide were to be shot on the spot Thereafter a few men of the first company were escorted were to escort the work Jews Who had been selected at the marketplace while the rest of first company was to proceed to the forest to form firing squads The Jews were to be loaded onto battalion trucks by second company and third platoon of third company and shuttled from the marketplace to the forest and that's for executions. Yeah. After making the assignments, Trapp spent most of the day in town, either in a schoolroom converted into his headquarters, at the homes of the Polish mayor, and at the local priest, at the marketplace, or on the road to the forest. But he did not go to the forest itself or witness the executions. His absence there was conspicuous. As one policeman bitterly commented, Major Trapp was never there. Instead, he remained in Yosefov because he allegedly could not bear the sight. We men were upset about that and said we couldn't bear it either. Indeed, Trapp's distress was a secret to no one. At the marketplace one policeman remembered hearing Trapp say oh god why did I have to be given these orders as he put his hand on his heart another policeman witnessed him at the schoolhouse today I can see exactly before my eyes major Trapp in the room pacing back and forth with his hands behind his back he made a downcast impression and spoke to me he said something like man such jobs don't suit me but orders are orders another man remembered vividly how trap finally alone in our room sat on a stool and wept bitterly the tears really flowed can you hear that that idea that orders are orders mm-hmm. doesn't stand doesn't work mm-hmm. back to the book as the roundup neared completion the men of first company were withdrawn from the search and given a quick lesson in the gruesome task that awaited them they were instructed by the battalion doctor and the company's first sergeant and this is a quote from one of the men I believe that at this point all the officers of the battalion were present especially our battalion physician dr. Schoenfelder he now had to explain to us precisely how we had to shoot in order to induce the immediate death of the victim I remember exactly that for this demonstration he drew or outlined the contour of a human body at least from the shoulders upward and then indicated precisely the point on which the fixed bayonet was to be placed as an aiming guide so we have the battalion doctor who's instructing some of the men and and you're gonna see that it wasn't all of them to take the bayonet which is on their rifle put it on the back of the neck as an aiming guide to know where exactly where to shoot back to the book first sergeant Cammer had taken the initial contingent of shooters in first company to a forest several kilometers from Yosifov the trucks halted on a dirt road that ran along the edge at a point where a pathway led into the woods the men climbed down from their trucks and waited when the first truckload of 35 to 40 Jews arrived an equal number of policemen came forward and face to face were paired off with their victims led by Kammer, the policemen and Jews marched down the forest path they turned off into the woods at a point indicated by Captain Wolff who busied himself throughout the day selecting the execution sites. Kammer then ordered the Jews to lie down in a row. The policemen stepped up behind them, placed their bayonets on the backbone above the shoulder blade as instructed earlier, and on Kammer's command, fired in unison. In the meantime, more policemen of first company had arrived at the edge of the forest to fill out a second firing squad. As the first firing squad marched out of the woods to the unloading point, the second group took their victims along the same path into the woods. Wolhoff chose a site a few yards farther on so the next batch of victims would not see the corpses from the earlier execution. These Jews were again forced to lie face down in a row, and the shooting procedure was repeated. thereafter the pendulum traffic of the two firing squads in and out of the woods continued throughout the day except for a midday break the shooting proceeded without interruption until nightfall at some point in the afternoon someone organized a supply of alcohol for the shooters by the end of day of nearly continuous shooting the medic completely lost track of how many Jews they had each killed in the words of one policeman it was in any case a great number so clearly this is not what we think of when we think of the Holocaust men being paired off with their victims to take out in the woods and shot in the back of the head and going through this procedure the entire day back to the book in contrast to first company the men of second company received no instruction on how to carry out the shooting initially bayonets were not fixed as an aiming guide and as Hergert noted there was a considerable number of missed shots that led to the unnecessary wounding of the victims One of the policemen in Hergert's unit, likewise noted the difficulty the men had in aiming properly. At first we shot freehand. When one aimed too high, the entire skull exploded. As a consequence, brains and bones flew everywhere. Thus, we were instructed to place the bayonet point on the neck. According to Hergert, however, using fixed bayonets as an aiming guide was no solution. Through the point blank shot though the point blank shot that was thus required, the bullet struck the head of the victim at such a trajectory that often the entire skull or at least the entire rear skull cap was torn off, and blood, bone splinters and brains sprayed everywhere and besmirched the shooters. Hergert was so emphatic that no one in first platoon was given the option of withdrawing beforehand. But once the executions began and men approached either him or Shear because they could not shoot women and children, they were given other duties. This was confirmed by one of his men. During the execution, word spread that anyone who could not take it any longer could report. He, w- he then went on to note I myself took part in some ten shootings in which I had to shoot men and women. I simply could not shoot at people anymore which became apparent to my sergeant Hergert because at the end I repeatedly shot past for this reason he relieved me other comrades were also relieved sooner or later because they simply could no longer continue so obviously there's Mixed emotions about this whole thing from the top of the chain of command right down to the front line shooters That are only able to do this so many times some of them opt out of it initially But let's remember that it's still taking place and no one's stopping it no one's some saying some people are excusing themselves from it But there's no one saying hey, what the hell are we doing right now? back to the book some of the men who hurried at their task shot far more Jews than others who delayed as much as they could after two rounds one policeman simply slipped off and stayed among the trucks at the edge of the forest another managed to avoid taking his turn with the shooters altogether. and here's a quote from him it was in no way the case that those who did not want to or could not carry out the shooting of human beings with their own hands could not keep themselves out of the task No strict control was being carried out here I therefore remained by the arriving trucks and kept myself busy at the arrival point in any case I gave my activity such an appearance it could not be avoided that one or another of my comrades noticed that I was not going to the executions to fire away at the victims they showered me with remarks such as shithead and weakling to express their disgust I suffered no consequences for my actions I must mention here that I was not the only one who kept himself out of participating in the executions so guys like I said have figured out that they can not participate if they don't want to and they're getting called cowards and and weaklings by the guys that are actually cowards and weaklings that are going out and and executing people back to the book as with first company alcohol was made available to the policemen under Drucker and Steinmetz who stayed in the forest and continued shooting as darkness approached at the end of a long summer day and the murderous task was still not finished the shooting became even less organized and more hectic the forest was so full of dead bodies that it was difficult to find places to make the Jews lie down so they complete this massacre and they head back to their barracks and here we go back to the book when the men arrived back at the barracks they were depressed angered embittered and shaken they ate little but drank heavily generous quantities of alcohol were provided and many of the policemen got quite drunk major trap made the rounds trying to console and reassure them and again placing the responsibility on higher authorities Placing responsibility on higher authorities you're not allowed to do that mm-hmm. but neither the drink nor traps consolation could wash away the sense of shame and horror that pervaded the barracks so that was the, the first police action that they did this what this took place in Poland it was the first time that the group had deployed to Poland and to give you you know when you when you hear what they did yeah you hear some people that that had a hard time with it but still like i said that was a small percentage that was like 10% maybe 15% of people that said no i'm not going to do it or that, that hid or or made themselves busy with other things most of the guys just went ahead and did what they were told to do and you think to yourself okay well who were these guys were they hardened combat veterans from the front line were they were they young sort of brainwashed Nazi youth that were that that's what they believed in and they, they just they their mind just saw that as the reality that they had to go through with mm. and this is the strange thing about this book is that that's not what it is That's not who these guys were and now I'll go to the book to talk about who they actually were For the most part reserve reserve police battalion 101 Was now composed of men without any experience of German occupation methods in Eastern Europe or for that matter With the exception of the very oldest who were World War one veterans any kind of military service most these guys aren't even from the military the battalion consisted of 11 officers, five administrative officials in charge of financial matters relating to pay and politi- uh, provisioning, lodging, etc., and 486 non commissioned officers and men. The battalion was divided into three companies, each of approximately 140 men when at full strength. Two companies were commanded by police captains, and the third by a senior reserve lieutenant in the battalion. Each company was divided into three platoons, two of them commanded by reserve lieutenants, and the third by a platoon senior sergeant. So this is kind of a normal military makeup. The battalion was commanded by 53-year-old Major Wilhelm Trapp. World War one veteran and recipient of the Iron Cross first class now we know World War one obviously was a brutal war and he's a survivor of that awarded the Iron Cross first class fought for Germany and lost what he do after the war back to the book after the war he became a career policeman and rose through the ranks he'd recently been promoted from captain of second company and this was his first battalion command though Trapp had joined the Nazi party in December of 1932 and thus technically qualified as an old party fighter or Alterkämpfer, he had never been taken into the SS or even given an equivalent SS rank in spite of the fact that Himmler and Heydrich consciously tried to merge and intertwine the state and party components of their SS police Empire trap was clearly not considered SS material so, And and you're gonna see this these guys. I mean there's a war going on So why are these guys in a police battalion as opposed to being on the front lines fighting the war the reason is because they're not quite The right material to mm. go out and fight and by the way, this is you know We're gonna get to a point soon in the war where there's some 14 year old Hitler youth going out to fight But these guys aren't aren't being selected. Mm-hmm Back to the book. He was soon to come into conflict with his two captains, both young SS men, who, even in their testimony more than 20 years later, made no attempt to conceal their contempt for their commander as weak, unmilitary, and unduly interfering in the duties of his officers. So he's got a couple police captains that were a little bit more hardcore. Let me tell you about them. Wolfgang Hoffman, he was born in 1914 16 years old he was in Hitler Youth in 1932 at 18 he was in the SS graduated from gymnasium which is a college preparatory high school in 1934 Joined the police force in 1936 entered the Nazi party in 1937 same year he completed police training was commissioned as a lieutenant and now he's in the reserves In 1942 reserve police battalion 101 so he'd he'd come up through the ranks you know as a Nazi but still even him I mean his formative years he's born in 1914 so you know it's not like it's all he knew you know he went from 1914 to what 1933 1930 so he was 16 years old He had been formed, you know lived as a normal German before the Nazi party was around. Mm -hmm. We're not talking a brainwashed complete Nazi youth Same thing with the other guy born in 1913. This is Julius Woolhoff Also graduated from gymnasium joined the Nazi party in 1933 1936 became SS So these guys are More you know, they're more engaged in the whole Nazi party and obviously towing the line along that. Now, so that's the two police captains that are in charge of a couple of the companies inside the battalion. Now, let's talk a little bit about the men. The men aged generally from 33 to 48 years old. Uh, five were party members, none of them belonged to the SS. Of the back to the book of the 32 non-commissioned officers on whom we have information, 22 were party members and seven were in the SS. They ranged in age from 27 to 40 years old. Their average age was 33 and a half. They were not reservists, but rather pre-war recruits to the police of the rank and file, so now we're just talking about the troops, the 400 plus troops. Of the rank and file, the vast majority were from the Hamburg area. 63% were working class background, but few were skilled laborers. The majority of them held typical Hamburg working class jobs. Dock workers and truck drivers were most numerous, but there were also many warehouse and construction workers, machine operators, seamen and waiters. About 35% were lower middle class, virtually all of them white collar workers three-quarters of them were in sales of some sort the other one quarter formed various office jobs in both government and private sector the number of uh, the number of independent artisans and small businesses businessmen were very small only a handful two percent were middle-class profession professionals and very modest ones at that such as druggists and teachers the average age of the men was 39 over half were between 37 and 42 a group considered too old for the army But most heavily conscripted for reserve police duty after September 1939. So these guys so the the men are are They're, they're 30 40 years old 35 40 years old these guys have fully developed right They're yep. They're not they're not you you know, Impressionable they're, yeah, they're not impressionable guys that are just raised inside the Nazi culture Cause, I mean let's face it if you're raised in any uh Cultish religion scenario, Mm -hmm. there's a really good chance that that's what you're going to believe in, and you don't understand any other way of thinking. So, you can, um, I don't know if you can be excused, but it's understandable how you end up that way. Yeah. Back to the book the men of reserve police battalion were from the lower orders of German society they had experienced neither social nor geographic mobility by virtue of their age and here's what we're just talking about by virtue of their age of course all went through their formative period in the pre-nazi era these were men who had known political standards and moral norms other than those of the Nazis most came from Hamburg by reputation one of the least nazified cities in Germany and the majority came from a social class that had been anti-Nazi in its political culture. These men would not seem to have been a very promising group from which to recruit mass murderers on the half, on behalf of Nazi vision of a racial utopia free of Jews. And I think the title of this book is "Ordinary Men," and that's why, because that's what we're talking about here: ordinary men. I mean, that's that's a, That's about a, a Clear cross-section of society than you could come up with I mean you come up yeah. with the same cross-section of society in America A bunch yeah. of guys are working as construction workers waiters truck drivers dock workers. I mean that's what that's what people do.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh What age are they they're 35 40 years old, okay? Yeah. Is that the group that you think is gonna be all you're gonna be able to take out yeah. and get them to murder? thousands and thousands of people face to face Okay. Now there's a, a section here it's the reflections on the massacre itself and it's talking about this first like I said this first thing that took place in Yosefov it was left the, their first big action as a group. So here we go back to the book at Yosef at Yosefov a mere dozen men out of nearly 500 responded instinctively to major traps offered to step forward and excuse themselves from the impending mass murder. Why was the number of men from the beginning declared themselves, who from the beginning declared themselves unwilling to shoot, so small? And he, he kind of offers an explanation here. It's like the suddenness of it,
1: mm-hmm
0: and and it, people are kind of surprised, and and I. I can make sense of that, right? Yeah. Like if you, if I gave you time to think, if I was like, "Hey, Echo, we got to go do this thing right now." You'd probably be like, "Okay, cool, let's go do it." Right. But if I said, "Hey, Echo, then we're going to go do something tomorrow," tomorrow, yeah. you know, I'll pick you up at ten yeah. thirty. Let me know. Well, now you have time to contemplate. Yeah. So he surprised him with it. Uh, there's also, obviously, there was peer pressure, right, yes. to conform. Yeah and you know that that's going to play a role and, and we'll talk about that more later going back to book back to the book nonetheless the act of stepping out that morning in yosefov meant mm. leaving one's comrades and admitting that one was too weak or cowardly who would have dared one policeman declared emphatically to lose face before the assembled troops If the question is posed to me why I shot with the others in the first place, said another who subsequently asked to be excused after several rounds of killing, I must answer that no one wants to be thought a coward. It was one thing to refuse at the beginning, he added, and quite another to try and shoot but not be able to continue. Another policeman, more aware of what truly required courage, said quite simply, I was cowardly. So that person gets it. Yeah. You know, these people are the the shooters are saying, "Hey, I don't want to be a coward, so right. I wanted to go shoot." Right. When actually to stand up and say, "No, that's right. what would have taken real moral cor- courage at this point." And, and obviously these guys knew what they were doing was wrong. Yeah. They knew it. That's why they're some of them weren't able to continue. Yeah. Now, speaking of cowardly, here's a, a little section that I thought you should be pointed out, and we were talking about this before the podcast, how people rationalize things. Yeah. Well, listen to this rationalization. Perhaps the most astounding rationalization of all was that of a thirty five year old metal worker from Bremerhaven. Quote, I made the effort and it was possible for me to shoot only children. It so happened that the mothers led the children by the hand my neighbor then shot the mother and I shot the child that belonged to her because I reasoned with myself that after all without its mother the child could not live any longer it was supposed to be so to speak soothing to my conscience to release the children unable to live without their mothers and actually he goes in here and talks about the German word for release also means to like redeem or save so this guy's really twisted things up in his head mm. the dangers of rationalization right there good God back to the book with few exceptions the whole question of anti-semitism is marked by silence so this is interesting this is very interesting he, he the as they and and I should have pointed this out earlier But this book is based on all these different interviews and witness accounts Mostly of the policemen themselves now and again, I should have pointed this out in the beginning of course people are making witness statements
1: mm-hmm.
0: And there's all kinds of problems with those right they don't remember things correctly yeah. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect their friends. They're trying to indict Certain people and make them look like the bad guy. They might be trying to make themselves look good. So there's all these c- Kind of angles that you have to listen to that you have to understand this with yeah But this is interesting as they interview these guys Back to the book with few exceptions the whole question of anti-semitism is marked by silence What is clear? Is that the men's concern for their standing in the eyes of their comrades was not matched by any sense of human ties with their victims the Jews stood outside their circle of human obligation and responsibility such a polarization between us and them between one's comrades and the enemy is of course standard in war and it is indeed but I guess what surprised me is these guys weren't going in there with thinking themselves Okay, these are the Jews that are doing us wrong, and we're going to get our chance. They were just kind of saying, well, they're not us, so we'll do what we have to do. Yeah. back to the book even 20 or 25 years later those who did quit shooting along the way overwhelmingly cited sheer physical revulsion against what they were doing as the prime motive but to not express any ethical or political principles behind this revulsion so that's interesting these guys were stopping because it, it made them feel sick
1: yeah.
0: and they weren't saying look I so I I am actually what I've been saying is like hey these guys knew it was wrong well they didn't think of it as wrong or at least this is explaining that they weren't thinking oh this is so wrong what they were thinking was I'm gonna be sick now any rational person can figure out that if something makes you sick to do then Mm -hmm. you've got some deep-seated knowledge that what you're doing is wrong yeah
1: yeah it seems like that that was like the the moral part of it right or wrong and stuff, that wasn't the primary the primary was just I can't take the blood and guts
0: man I can't take the blood and guts yeah Yeah. you're exactly right now like I said there's a connection and I don't think he makes in the book but in my mind there's a connection Mm. if you're doing something that makes you feel sick yeah it's not just the making you feel sick that should be bothering you what should be bothering you is the fact that you're doing something that makes you feel sick there's a reason why it makes you feel sick there's a reason why human beings feel sick when they're laying down children shooting in the back of the head there's a reason yeah. for that that's an that's a that's a it's like a like a survival instinct right for your for your species to carry on yeah you have to make the, the other members of your species survive
1: yeah, yeah. especially if, if just like you said they were there wasn't like some enemy Kind of feeling towards these people, like no. it's not like, oh, we're defending ourselves against this enemy. You know, wasn't that? It was just that it was essentially the minimum requirement right. to go against somebody. They're not us. Yeah,
0: and he's going to go into this a little bit, but yeah, you're right. It's not. It's not like there's. You know, he says, hey, there's there's women and children being bombed back in Germany right now, but there's okay. no direct correlation. They're not saying, hey, look, these Jews are fighting us. They're gonna they're gonna take over. They've got ground and you know on our borders. No, yeah. they're not saying that. They're actually in total control of the Jews at this point, or they're not total control, but they're getting really close. Getting really close. Back to the book: the resentment and bitterness in the battalion over what they had been asked to do, and Yosifov was shared by virtually everyone, even those who had shot the entire day. The exclamation of one policeman to first Sergeant Cameron of the first company that I'd go crazy if I had to do that again expressed the sentiments of many. But few went beyond complaining to extricate themselves from such a possibility. So they all said, Hey, I hope I never have to do that again. Yeah. But very few of them said actually made a stand. The most dramatic back to the book the most dramatic response again was that of lieutenant Buckman who asked trap to have him transferred back to Hamburg and declared that short of a direct personal order from trap he would not take part in Jewish actions in the end he wrote to Hamburg explicitly requesting a recall because he was not suited to certain tasks alien to the police that were being carried out by his unit in Poland Buckman had waited had to wait until november but his efforts to be transferred were ultimately successful so there's a guy that that's one guy that they're citing that actually said dude i'm not going to do this now it was bad enough and did have a bad enough effect on the men and they complained about it enough that there was some changes so here we go back to the book in subsequent actions two vital changes were introduced henceforth with some notable except- exceptions adhered to first most of the future operations of the reserve police battalion 101 involved ghetto clearing and deportation not outright massacre on the spot the policemen were thus relieved of the immediate horror of the killing process which for deportees from the northern Lubin district was carried out in the extermination camp at Treblinka so now we're not gonna, you, you don't have to go shoot them. You just got to gather them up and get, a, get them shipped off to the extermination camp. Second, while deportation was a horrifying procedure characterized by the terrible coercive violence needed to drive people onto the death trains, as well as the systematic killing of those who could not be marched to the trains, these actions were generally undertaken jointly by units of Reserve Police Battalion 101 and the Tronikis ss trained auxiliaries from the Soviet territories recruited from the Russian or POW camps and usually assigned to the very worst parts of the ghetto clearing and deportation so imagine this group you get a group of thugs that are from Russian POW camps and you say oh yeah you will let you out of this POW camp and you can come work for us
1: mm.
0: and they're trained by the SS not exactly a friendly crew of guys in fact that's like I can't imagine a worse group of people to come and, and to come after you yeah back to the book the bulk of the killing was to be removed to the extermination camp and the worst of the on-the-spot dirty work was to be assigned to the Troniki's this change would prove sufficient to allow the men of reserve police battalion 101 to become accustomed to their participation in the final solution When the time came to kill again, the policemen did not go crazy. Instead, they became increasingly efficient and calloused executioners. So, couple changes. It was obviously, it was a little too much for them Mm. to actually do all the killing themselves. Now they got some people to help them out, and or they, are just going to gather them up and ship them away and they'll uh, now they're only playing a little piece in the in the in the in the machine
1: yeah
0: right just a little piece of the machine so it's a lot easier to detach yeah. from what's actually happening back to the book the Jews of Lomazi were to be the target of reserve battalion 101's first joint killing action with the unit from the Troniki. second company was to provide the bulk of the manpower for the roundup the primary function of the trniki was unit was to provide the shooters thus alleviating the chief psychological burden the german policemen had experienced at Yosefov. and here the the orders come out they're going in and now there's another term that comes up it's it's it has to do with the truniki but it's hiwis and it's short i forget what the german words are but hiwis is short for two big german words mm. one of them that means willing and one of them that means helper mm. so they called these these sort of people that had come to the german side and were not they called them hiwis mm. and it, it's like i said it stands for willing helper mm. it's like it's like using you ever heard the term speck war mm-hmm. for spe- that stands for special warfare this is the same thing with two German words that mean willing helper Mm. so here we go back to the book the NCOs were told that the Hiwis from Troniki would do the shooting so the policemen would for the most part be spared nonetheless the roundup was to be conducted as had been done before which is to say that infants and the old sick and frail who could not be easily taken to the assembly point were to be shot on the spot but not out of all the killing according to one squad leader however most children were once again brought to the assembly point as in Yosefov, the men encountered not only German Jews but specifically Hamburg Jews during the clearing action the Jews quickly filled the schoolyard and overflowed into the adjoining sports field with some shooting the roundup was finished in two short hours so, so that's a that's a real sort of one sentence and if you can just try and imagine what the hell is going on there these soldiers these Russian soldiers these German soldiers are coming in and rounding people up they're using violence shooting people to get all the Jews into the schoolyard this is a nightmare scenario that they that you know he puts in a sentence here back to the book the 1700 Jews of Lumazi were then forced to sit and wait a group of 60 to 70 young men were selected out given shovels and spades loaded onto trucks and driven to the woods several of the young Jews jumped from the moving trucks and made good their escape another attacked a German corporal the battalion boxing championing champion who promptly knocked his desperate assailant senseless In the woods the Jews were set to digging a mass grave back in Lomazi the weight of the doomed Jews and their police guards stretched into hours suddenly a contingent of 50 heewees from Troninki marched into town led by a German SS officer I can still remember it exactly one policeman testified that immediately after the arrival of these Troniki's took a break after their arrival the Trinikis took a break I saw that in addition to food they also took out bottles of vodka out of their packs and drank from them the SS officer and Gnad this is a, a guy that arrived on the scene now Gnade began drinking heavily as well the other NCOs smelled of alcohol but unlike the two commanders were not visibly drunk so these guys are are drinking vodka and they know what they're about to have to go do. Now, we're talking about this guy, Lieutenant Nade. Lieutenant Nade was a Nazi by conviction and an anti Semite. He was also unpredictable, affable, and approachable at times, brutal and vicious at others. And here's an eyewitness account from one of the soldiers. Back to the book, even before the shooting began, 1st Lieutenant Nade had personally picked out some 20 to 25 elderly Jews. They were exclusively men with full beards. Nade made the old men crawl on the ground in the area before the grave. Before he gave them the order to crawl, they had to undress. While the totally naked Jew- Jews crawled, First Lieutenant Nade screamed to those around, Where are my non commissioned officers? Don't you have any clubs yet? The non commissioned officers went to the edge of the forest, fetched themselves clubs, and vigorously beat the Jews with them. They get the mass grave dug and here we go immediately large numbers of Jews were driven into the grave and the hiwis took their position on the walls that had been thrown up from there they shot the victims as the shooting continued the grave began to fill the Jews who followed had to climb on and later later even clamber over those shot earlier because the grave was filled with corpses almost to the edge. The NCOs decided that the execution should continue with two firing squads on opposite sides of the grave. The Jews were forced to lie down in rows alongside each other. Each side of the grave and were shot by the police standing on the opposite wall men from all three platoons were formed into squads of 8 to 10 and were relieved by others in a rotation after five or six shots after about two hours the Hewis were roused from their stupor and resumed shooting in place of the German policemen the shooting was finished around 7 p.m. and the work Jews who had been kept aside covered the grave the work Jews were then shot as well the thin covering of the overfill grave continued to move so you got people that are not dead yeah. that are now buried alive and there was a part that I didn't cover basically the Hewis got too drunk to continue on, and the the police had to go and take their place for a while, and then they kind of recovered mm. but this is the- this is the situation that we're talking about just a complete nightmare. back to the book, one other factor sharply distinguished Lomazi from Yosefov and may well have been yet another kind of psychological relief for the men, namely and this is important from from a psychological and from a leadership perspective. It, one, so I'm going back to it again. One other factor may sharply distinguished Lomazi from Yosefov and may well have been yet another kind of psychological relief for the men, namely, this time they did not bear the burden of choice that trap had offered them so starkly on the occasion of the first massacre. No chance to step out was given to those who did not feel up to the shooting. No one systematically excused those who were visibly shaken to continue everyone assigned to the firing squads took his turn as ordered therefore those who shot did not have to live with clear awareness that they had what they had done had been unavoidable so that's a, a, a big difference yeah the big difference and from a leadership perspective that's something that I've, I've actually talked about this before um, it's interesting When we were in Ramadi, you know, we tasking a bruiser, we kinda decided what we were gonna do. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we we weren't getting told go do this. And so everything that we did, we did because we decided that it was we we could mitigate the risk and we could take it was a good a good operation and we could it was an area that we could do a good job in, so we had a lot of control over our fate. Mm. And that's that's actually can be psychologically heavier mm-hmm. because if something goes wrong it, it's all it's all on you as the leader
1: yeah,
0: or as the leadership team or even as the guys that are on the front line, the point man the point man' selecting his own you know going down to the front the front line troops the point man is selecting the route yeah. if he hits an IED sure you know it's it's the enemy's fault and but but he's thinking to himself, why did I choose that route yeah now the army. They they did have some control, but they had more often than not they'd be getting told hey You're gonna go on a patrol down this road or hey you're gonna go hit this building so they were relieved oftentimes of that Freedom of choice. Yeah, so the freedom of choice can be a little bit of a burden And so what happened here was the freedom of choice was taken away Yeah, and that burden was therefore taken away look you're gonna shut up and do this. Yeah guys. Okay.
1: Yeah, because you have like if you have that choice, like back to the part where the 12 guys stepped out, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, we can look at it as the guys who stepped out have more courage because they're not essentially, there's two things to be kind of scared of or have courage against, right? One is, okay, I'm not scared to kill these people. I'm scared to pull the trigger, you know? And then there's I'm not scared to go against the norms. Yeah. You know, which absolutely. is a bigger kind of thing. Oh much harder. Yeah. <laughs> so and that and you have the choice which one are you gonna do, you know? If you if they give you the choice, okay, you can step out if you want, what are you gonna do? And everyone's looking at you like, okay, are you gonna
0: I wonder what w- the tipping point would have been? In other words Like if, if you chose to do it or No, so. if if ten people, but then what if it was thirty? Yeah. What if it was forty? Uh-huh. You see that any time in a crowd. Yeah you mm-hmm. seen that stupid uh, video where there's like one guy. He's dancing by himself In well, it's, it's like some viral video is it kind of old-school. I don't know, but it's it's a stupid viral video You don't have to go and watch it yourself, yeah, but I'll explain do- what happens <laughs> yeah, sure. There's a guy there are like some kind of a concert some kind of a outdoor concert. There's mm-hmm. a guy dancing by himself Yeah He's dancing by himself for a long time mm-hmm. And th- that's why I saw it was somebody was talking about like group or they use this as an, as an example of group psychology yeah. The guy's dancing for, by himself for a long time Mm-hmm. And what they're actually saying is that the person that has the courage is the is actually the second person that joins him oh. so anyways the one person's dancing he's dancing by himself for several minutes yeah then another per- person joins him
1: mm-hmm.
0: once the other person joins him then all of a sudden five people yeah, yeah. and then it's 20 people and then the next thing you know everyone is dancing yeah. and I wonder what the tipping point would have been here. Yeah, you, know, you get 10 people out of 500. That wasn't enough. Yeah, that's crazy but, huh? but you know what if all of a sudden 15 20 30 40 people would have stepped forward yeah. Then all of a sudden does it just everyone says hey, we're not doing this. Yeah
1: Yeah, I think if they knew I wonder if they knew for sure that there wasn't gonna you know Because some guys were getting called names. Well, yeah, and I
0: think it was the suddenness that, that he talked about in the book Yeah, you know if, if you'd have said listen. okay listen tomorrow. Yeah, we're gonna do. We're gonna go out and kill a bunch of women and children, point blank range in the woods. Yeah, you're gonna have to shoot them all. Yeah,
1: let me know if you're down.
0: Yeah, and then if if you have done that, but then given them hours to sit there and think about it.
1: Yeah, and then the next guy's like, "Hey, what are you gonna do? What're yeah. you gonna do?"
0: You know? Then then it may have spread. Yeah, but that peer pressure was hardcore. That's what I mean. It was man. hardcore.
1: So that yeah, it's, especially if, like I said, if they're scared of the authority, it's like okay, the tipping point's gonna be more for sure. But like. You know, you do something like, you know, your example, or, or you, ever, you ever see, you know, you see this all the time where you say some you're on stage, you say something kind of cool, not... You know, it's not the end of your presentation, you say something kind of cool, and then one guy starts clapping, and then everyone starts clapping. Right? You know, right. It's kind of that thing where there's no consequence to clapping, so it's like, all right, oh, shoot, that's what we're doing. Okay, I'll I clap. I feel good about clapping. I'm going to do it, mm. you know, kind of thing. There's no real resistance. So the tipping point is going to be one guy. That's the tipping yeah. point. But you get something where there's going to be, there might be some resistance, some risk, you know, of, of pain or, you know, whatever kind of punishment. Yeah, the tipping point's going to be more, I think. Yeah. I wonder what that is, man, because it's like, <laughs> not like the Nazi regime was very understanding. No. You no.
0: Know? No. No. I mean, you know, pretty much you can say that most military units aren't very understanding. Uh,. You know, there's there's going to be a certain level of like a there there's Mm -hmm. discipline in place for a region reason, and you can get away. You know, I talk about all the time. You know, I say, look, you can't just order people to do things; it only lasts for so long. Yeah. But how long did Mm -hmm. it need to last here? It only needed to last a night. If you can get everyone to do what you need them to do tonight, you know, okay, we we got through our mission, and now I'll let them. You know, what did he do? He actually let them go get drunk and Mm -hmm. you know talk to him and and. Built up some more leadership capital because he expended it. Yeah. He expended a bunch of his leadership capital to get this yeah. mission done, and now he's got to rebuild it and re- kind of get re- develop his relationship again with the guys and and bring in some other changes. Hey, look, you know, we're not going to do all the killing this time. So, yeah.
1: yeah, man, it's crazy. It's I thought it was pretty surprising, and I'd be kind of I feel kind of psycho saying refreshing to know that they didn't get that much punishment. Aside from some name calling, you know, because you don't think of it like that. I think when well, you when you think of the like all this in it, you know, if, oh, if the oh, guy chose saying, not to kill, saying, yeah, people, they got yeah,
0: yeah, all they got was name called, yeah. And it, that's another thing that they probably that that might have changed the tipping point, yeah, yeah. If, when they realized, you know, the, those guys that step forward, they might have thought they get put in the ditch because there's yeah. some, and I didn't cover this part, but there's there's definitely some parts where guys are like, hey, we'll put you in the ditch. That's you actually need to get up here and do your job, yeah. But I think that reveals the discomfort of the overall situation yeah, they, they weren't know. looking at their buddy saying no I'm gonna kill you now. They were like hey actually I kind of agree with you, but you just stay over there and we'll <laughs> go forward I know, Beth. Okay, so the next situation that they get into are these deportations to Treblinka the, the death camp and Here we go back to the book while the policemen did not know precisely where the Jews were being sent or what was being done with them it was all clear and well known to all of us as Heinrich Steinmetz admitted that for the Jews affected these deportations meant the path to death we suspected that they would be killed in some sort of camp spared direct participation in the killing the men of reserve police battalion 101 seemed scarcely to to have been disturbed by this awareness even though there were more victims in the deportations than in Yosefo or Lomaze massacres combined out of sight was truly out of mind so now they're in this mode of they're just doing the deportations now I say just doing the deportations and I don't want to make that sound like it wasn't a brutal vicious exercise that they were doing. Here we go, back to the book. Driven by the Hewis and policemen, thousands of Jews steamed into the marketplace. Streamed into the marketplace. Here they had to sit or squat without moving or getting up. As the hours passed on this very hot August of the late summer heat wave, many Jews fainted and collapsed. Moreover, beating and shooting continued in the marketplace. And I don't know if I quoted this in here or if I'll get to it, but these guys they they they're shooting people, they also bring out whips so they're whipping people it's brutal back to the book one final horror was reserved to the end for the train cars now had to be loaded while the he and security police packed 120 to 140 Jews into each car the reserve policemen stood guard and observed as one remembered when it didn't go well they made use of riding whips and guns The loading was simply frightful there was an unearthly cry from these poor people because 10 or 20 cars were being loaded simultaneously the entire freight train was dreadfully long one could not see all of it it may have been 50 to 60 cars if not more and after a car was loaded the doors were closed and nailed shut once all the cars were sealed the men of reserve police to battalion 101 quickly departed without waiting to see the train pull away. These guys did their little part of the job and they're going to walk away now. But yeah. It's a, it's an again it's a nightmare scenario. Continuing on, shortly before the deportation program resumed in Northern Security Zone, Reserve Police Battalion 101 was involved in several more mass shootings. So there's a couple times that they don't get the help that they had before going back to the book without the experienced help of the Hewis, Wolholf organized the executions along the lines of Yosef of of the Yosefov shooting. The groups of 20 to 30 Jews, which had been marched out of town in succession to gravel pits, were turned over to an equal number of Peter's and Yurik's commandos. Thus, each policeman once again faced the individual Jew he was going to shoot. The Jews were not forced to undress, nor was there a collection of valuables. There was also no selection for labor. All the Jews, regardless of age and sex, were to be shot. So, then you know, in the earlier ones, they were stripping them down and collecting their valuables. They're not even doing that. And I bet they're not doing that because when you do that, you're getting some kind of an interaction. Mm. You're seeing their personal items, and they don't want any of that. Just take mm-hmm. them out and shoot them. The easiest psychological way to do it. Back to the book the policemen and the shooting commandos marched their Jews to the crest of one of the mounds of waste material in the area of the gravel pits. The victims were lined up facing a six-foot drop. From a short distance behind, the policemen fired on order into the necks of the Jews. The bodies tumbled over the edge. Following each round, the next group of Jews was brought up to the same spot and thus had to look down at the growing pile of corpses of their family and friends before they were shot in turn. Only after a number of rounds, did the shooters change sites? Here's some more deportation operations. They're back to doing deportations, back to the book, but even the most unfettered violence could not overcome the shortage of train cars. And when the doors were finally forced shut about a hundred and fifty Jews mostly women and children but also some men remained made this is that same lieutenant sadist summoned Drucker and told him to take these Jews to the cemetery at the cemetery entrance the policeman chased away the eager spectators and waited until first sergeant Ostman arrived in a truck with a supply of vodka for the shooters Ostman turned to one of his men who had hitherto avoided shooting and chided him drink up now Pfeiffer you're in for it this time because the Jewesses must be shot you've gotten yourself out of it so far but now you must go to it an execution squad of about 20 men was sent into the cemetery The Jews were brought in groups of 20, men first, and then women and children. They were first to lie down near the cemetery wall and then shot from behind the neck. Each policeman fired seven or eight times. At the cemetery gate, one Jew sprang at Drucker with a syringe but was quickly subdued. The other Jews sat quietly awaiting their fate even after the shooting began they were quite emaciated and looked half starved to death one guard remembered the in it, it's it's covered in here not in the kind of detail we should cover it but you know these Jews that were now ge- getting rounded up they were already in most of the ca- well in some of the cases in the book they were already in these ghettos Jewish ghettos like they'd been forced into these ghettos mm. they're now just living there starving but they're living and and then the Germans didn't no more Jews they mm-hmm. wanted the areas I think the word was juden free, was like free of Jews. Mm. So now even these people, and by the way, there were some some of the Germans that complained, like, "Hey, those are my laborers. You can't kill my laborers. No, we're killing everyone." So even again, it's not like this is an enemy with a threat. Yeah. These people were now completely subdued, living in these in these, I don't call them ghettos. They're like prison ghettos. Yeah. They're living in there. they have no threat to anybody but they round him up take them out kill him. Dang, yeah now one of the interesting points that they bring up in the book and I want to cover the whole thing but it's worth mentioning is that this guy Hoffman one of the one of the captains he has this strange stomach illness like he gets upset to his stomach
1: hmm.
0: so here we go he misses some of the actions or at least he's not there present where the executions are taking place and whatnot mm-hmm. and it, it just painted a picture of the kind of leader that he is so going back to the book uniformly Hoffman's men offered a different perspective meaning it's not just like yo, know, he's sick to his stomach and blah 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 by their ob- observation his alleged bouts of stomach cramps confining him safely to bed coincided all too consistently with company actions that might involve either unpleasantness or danger it became common for the men to predict upon hearing the night before a pending action that the company chief would be bedridden in the morning Hoffman's behavior rankled his men even more because of two aggravating factors first he'd always been strict and unapproachable a typical base officer who liked his white collar and gloves wore his SS insignia on his uniform and demanded considerable deference so that's that's the one thing you heard about the guy this is this just paints the the worst picture of just such a horrible human being. He loves wearing his rank. He loves being the guy, a base officer. Mm. Now there's there's a a term for that. They have, I think we made up in the not we but the the U.S. current war fighting soldiers and marines. Mm-hmm. It's a fobbit. Fobbit. A fobbit. So you get something called a forward operating base. Overseas. Right. And and the forwarding operating bases can actually be, you know, they p- pretty nice. They're they're relatively secure. And so Got the it. the Fobbit, right, is the leader that just wants to stay on the FOB. Yeah. yeah. do not want to go out. So this guy's but of course the Fobbits are always running around, you know, wanting to be respected, demanding yeah. respect, demanding deference. So this guy's a Fobbit. The other thing is, and this is very typical of this kind of wretched human back to the book second Hoffman tried to compensate for his immobility by intensified supervision of his subordinates so he's not around but he's just gonna be more of a jerk and impose himself more onto the onto the men mm. now they're continuing with another another ghetto that had to be cleared back to the book by October the order was for real placards announced that all Jews who did not go to the ghettos would be shot the shooting order was made part of regular company instructions to the men and given repeatedly especially before they were sent on patrol no one could be left in any doubt that not a single Jew was to remain alive in the battalion security zone in official jargon the battalion made forest patrols for suspects as the surviving Jews were to be tracked down and shot like animals, however, the men of Reserve Police Battalion 101 unofficially dubbed this phase of the final solution the Jew Hunt. The Jew Hunt took many forms. Most spectacular were two battalion sweeps. And here's a, some George Leffler. Of third company talking about that what those sweeps were like back to the book we were told that there were many Jews hiding in the forest we therefore searched through the woods in a skirmish line but we could find nothing because the Jews were obviously well hidden we combed the woods a second time only then could we discover individual chimney pipes sticking out of the earth we discovered that Jews had hidden themselves in underground bunkers here They were hauled out with some resistance in only one bunker. Some of the comrades climbed down into this bunker and hauled the Jews out. The Jews were then shot on the spot. The Jews had to lie face down on the ground and were killed by a neck shot. Who was in the firing squad, I don't remember. I think it was simply a case where the men standing nearby were ordered to shoot them some 50 Jews were shot including men and women of all ages because entire families had hidden themselves there the shooting took place quite publicly no cordon was formed at all for a number of poles from Parswu were standing directly by the shooting site they were then ordered presumably by Hoffman to bury the Jews who had been shot in a half-finished bunker so again you got some of the Jews had been consolidated in these ghettos and now they're anyone that's not any Jew that's not in the ghetto they're out hunting them here's another version of it in cases where the farmyard and the Jewish lodgings could be reached quickly I drove into the farmyard at high speed and the police sprang out and immediately rushed to the Jewish lodgings then all the Jews present at the time were driven out and shot in the farmyard near a haystack potato pit or dung heap the victims were almost always naked and were shot in the neck or while lying on the ground Now even as this was taking place, there's still people that are trying to avoid the shooting back to the book the tactic of keeping one's distance was invoked by Heinrich Feucht. To explain how he avoided shooting on all but one occasion one always had a certain freedom of movement of a few meters and from experience I noticed very quickly that the platoon leader almost always chose the people standing next to him I thus always attempted to take position as far as possible from the center of events others likewise sought to avoid shooting by staying in the background so there's still guys that are not not, they're trying they're doing their best not to participate. Again, are do they doing anything to stop it? No mm-hmm. but this this was a great kind of a wrap on the on the Jew hunt and what this was like. Back to the book. The Jew hunt was not a brief episode. It was a tenacious, remorseless, ongoing campaign in which the hunters tracked down and killed their prey in direct and personal confrontation it was not a passing phase but an existential condition of constant readiness and intention to kill every last Jew who could be found now we're gonna cover this last massacre that took place and Jews had been sent from uh, to to a prison camp to be executed and and they were rounded up. I think it was a place called like and They were sent to be executed and the police battalion is now acting as kind of guards and accessories to this to, to make sure that the executions these mass executions take place correctly going back to the book as the Jews passed between the chain of reserve policemen into the camp music blared from two loudspeaker trucks despite the attempt to drown out other noise the sound of steady gunfire could be heard from the camp the Jews were taken to the last row of barracks where they undressed arms raised hands clasped behind their necks totally naked they were led in groups from the barracks through a hole cut in the fence to the trenches that had been dug behind the camp this route was guarded by men from the reserve police battalion 101 stationed only 10 meters from the graves Heinrich Bolkolt of first company witnessed the killing procedure quote from my position I could now observe how the Jews were driven naked from the barracks by other members of our battalion the shooters of the execution commandos Who sat on the edge of the graves directly in front of me were members of the SD and the SD is like the SS Intel intelligence group the SD some distance behind each shooter stood several other SD men who constantly kept the magazines of the submachine guns filled and handed them to each shooter a number of shooters were assigned to each grave today I can no longer provide details about the number of graves It is possible that there were many such graves where shooting took place simultaneously. I definitely remember that the naked Jews were driven directly into the graves and forced to lie down quite precisely on top of those who had been shot before them. The shooter then fired off a burst at these prone victims. How long the action lasted, I can no longer say with certainty presumably it lasted the entire day because i remember that i was relieved once from my post i can give no details about the number of victims but there were an awful lot of them it's 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 almost incomprehensible to imagine that you're one of these Jews getting forced you're naked lay down go into this pit lay down on top of those other people that were just shot so you can be shot too another witness Martin Detmold quote because I was a group leader and could move about more freely I went once directly to the execution site and saw how the newly arriving Jews had to lie down on those already shot they were then likewise shot with bursts from submachine guns the SD men took care that the Jews were shot in such a way that there were inclines in the piles of corpses enabling the newcomers to lie down on the corpses piled as much as three meters high the whole business was the most gruesome I have ever seen in my life because I was frequently able to see that after a burst of a burst had been fired the Jews were only wounded and those still living were more or less buried alive beneath the corpses of those shot later without the wounded being given so-called mercy shots I remember that from out of the pile of corpses the SS men were cursed by the wounded And that was sort of the final participation of 101 Battalion. And here we get to there how it kind of wrapped up. At the conclusion of the Erntfest massacres, the district of Lublin was, for all practical purposes, Juden free, free of Jews. The murderous participation of Reserve Battalion reserve police battalion 101 in the final solution came to an end with a conservative estimate of 6,500 Jews shot during earlier actions like those at Yosefov and Lomazi and 1,000 shot during the Jew hunts and a minimum estimate of 30,500 Jews shot at Majdanek and Ponitois the battalion had participated in the direct shooting deaths of at least 38,000 Jews with the death camp deportation of at least 3,000 Jews from Meitzurek in early May 1943 the number of Jews they had placed on trains to Jablanca had risen to 45,000 for a battalion of less than 500 men the ultimate body count was at least eighty three thousand Jews. Unbelievable. And here he asked the question back to the book why did most men in Reserve Police Battalion one hundred one become killers while only a minority of perhaps 10% and certainly no more than 20% did not a number of explanations have been invoked in the past to explain such behavior wartime brutalization racism segmentation and routinization of the task special selection of the perpetrators careerism obedience to orders deference to authority ideological indo- indoctrination and conformity these factors are applicable in varying degrees, but none without qualification. So he's trying to now figure out why these people did what they did. And those, that's a list of all the kind of excuses or reasons, I should say, of why these men behave this way. Talks a little bit about overall kind of war crimes here. Back to the book. Many of the most notorious wartime atrocities... The Japanese rampage through Manila, the American slaughter of prisoners and mutilation of corpses on many of the Pacific Islands, and the massacre at Milai involved a kind of battlefield frenzy. Soldiers who who were inured to violence, numb to the taking of human life, embittered over their own casualties, and frustrated by the tenacity of an insidious and seemingly inhuman enemy, sometimes exploded and at other times grimly resolved to have their revenge at first opportunity. So, That's one type. It's for me. What's that called when you uh, like non premeditated murder? Yeah, right Like just you know The guy comes home and his wife's with some other guy and boom he goes he goes battlefield frenzy Yeah, that's one kind now we talk about this premeditated back to the book other kinds of atrocity Lacking the immediacy of the battlefield frenzy and fully expressing official government policy decidedly were standard operating procedures firebombing of German and Japanese cities, the enslavement of and murderous maltreatment of foreign laborers in German camps and factories or along the CM Burma Railroad. The reprisal shooting of a hundred civilians for every German soldier killed by partisan attack in Yugoslavia or elsewhere in Eastern Europe these were not the spontaneous explosions or cruel revenge of brutalized men but the methodical executed policies of government both kinds of atrocities occur in the brutalizing context of war but the men who carry out atrocity by policy are in a different state of mind They act not out of frenzy bitterness and frustration but with calculation clearly the men of reserve police battalion 101 in implementing the systematic Nazi policy of exterminating European Jewry belong in the second category except for a few of the oldest men who were veterans of World War one and a few NCOs who had been transferred from Poland to Poland from Russia the men of the battalion had not seen battle or encountered a deadly enemy most of them had not fired a shot in anger or even been fired upon, much less lost comrades in fighting at their side. Thus, wartime brutalization through prior combat was not an immediate experience directly influencing the policemen's behavior at Yosefov. Once the killing began, however, the men became increasingly brutalized. As in combat, the horrors of of the initial encounter Eventually became routine and the killing became progressively easier in A sense in this sense brutalization was not the cause but the effect of the men's behavior. So he's kind of saying look Like what you said these guys aren't fighting an enemy they hadn't lost their buddy. They're not to You know, they're not avenging their buddy that got killed next to him blown up by an IED And now they're gonna take it out on on this group that they capture. Mm. It's not like that. Back to the book. As John Dower has observed, the dehumanization of the other contributed immeasurably to the psychological distancing that facilitated killing. Distancing, not frenzy and brutalization, is one of the keys to the behavior of the Reserve Police, police Battalion 101. War and negative racial stereotyping were two mutually reinforcing factors in this distancing. So, in order to kill these people, you got to distance yourself from them you can't you can't see them as human you can't see them as people many scholars of the Holocaust especially Raoul Hilberg have emphasized the bureaucratic and administrative aspects of the destruction process this is very interesting Th- this approach emphasizes the degree to which modern bureaucratic life fosters a functional and physical distancing in the same way that war and negative racial stereotype promote a psychological distancing between perpetrator and victim so you, you form this bureaucratic machine that you are only a little piece of it mm-hmm. you are all you're doing is collecting people All you are doing is putting them in trains you're not killing yeah. anybody yeah you're all you're doing is rounding them up. All you're doing is guarding them as they're getting pushed down to the into the graves. That's not you.
1: Yeah. It's
0: a big bureaucratic machine. You're not you're just a little piece of it. Back to the book, indeed many of the perpetrators of the Holocaust were so-called desk murderers whose role in the mass extermination was greatly facilitated by the bureaucratic nature of their participation. Their jobs frequently consisted of tiny steps in the overall killing process, and they performed them in routine manner, never seeing the victims their actions affected segmented, routinized and depersonalized the job of the bureaucratic the bureaucrat or specialist whether it involved confiscating property, scheduling trains, drafting legislation, sending telegrams or compiling lists could be performed without confronting the reality of mass murder. Such a luxury, of course, was not enjoyed by the men of Reserve Police Battalion 101 who were quite literally saturated in the blood of victims shot at point-blank range. No one confronted the reality of mass murder more directly than the men in the woods of Yosefov. Segmentation and routinization, the depersonalizing aspects of the bureaucratic, of the bureaucraticized killing cannot explain the battalion's initial behavior there. So again, he's saying, look, that makes sense. You turn this into a big bureaucratic thing, but that's not what happened here with these guys. Mm -hmm. The facilitating psychological effect of a division of labor for the killing process was not totally negligible, however. So then he talks about the fact that they did make those adjustments and take the killing out of their hands somewhat. Mm -hmm. And that did make it easier for them. Now, he talks about, you know, one of the things that he mentioned early on and why this happened, he talks about special selection of the right people.
1: Mm.
0: Well, that doesn't really hold true either, because here we go. Back to the book. The case for special selection of officers is even more difficult to make. By SS standards, Major Trapp was a patriotic German, but traditionally an overly sentimental. What in Nazi Germany was scornfully considered both weak and reactionary so you can't say it was the selection of people and we already talked about all the different types of normal people that were doing this they, mm. they didn't they didn't pull some truck driver in Hamburg out and said this that's 38 years old and say this guy's gonna be the perfect no they, they, mm. they, they, they didn't do that back to the book reserve police battalion was not sent to Lublin to murder Jews because it was composed of men specifically selected or deemed particularly su- suited for the task On the contrary, the battalion was the dregs of the manpower pool available at that stage of war. It was employed to kill Jews because it was the only kind of unit available for such behind-the-line duties. Many studies of Nazi killers suggested a different kind of selection, namely self-selection to the party and the SS by unusually violence-prone people. Shortly after the war Theodore Adorno and many others and others developed the notion that There's the an authoritarian personality. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So they started looking at the the, There's certain people that have that that are susceptible to having this type of personality Mm -hmm. They made up something called the f-scale Which is is like your propensity to have a authoritarian personality here's some of the ingredients there back to the book rigid adherence to conventional values submissiveness to authority, to authority figures aggressiveness toward out groups opposition to introspection reflection and creativity a tendency to superstition and stereotyping preoccupation with power and toughness destructiveness and cynicism so these are the kind of things that they're saying that these types of personalities would become Nazis because mm. that's the type of personality they have. There's another, like, kind of, kind of, to make this as simple as possible. A guy named Zygmunt Bauman has summed up this approach as follows: Nazism was cruel because Nazis were cruel, and the Nazis were cruel because cruel people tended to become Nazis. Again, these are theories. Mm. I don't think you can apply that to a truck driver from Hamburg. Yeah. That got that got drafted. They didn't even self-select for they got drafted. Yeah. They got told, "Okay, you need to be in the in the army here."
1: Yeah, and or in the not, police battalion. It's almost like it's not necessarily you know, him a person being a truck driver is like um, you know, this this exclusionary occupation. It's more like Just because they're a truck driver. It just doesn't mean anything. It's like that's not the factor the truck driver something else
0: Anything when they talked about all these people from Hamburg anything that they talked about None of those it's not like we got a bunch of guys that were uh, That worked at a slaughterhouse yeah, yeah, Like we're gonna recruit all these people from a slaughterhouse no We didn't recruit hunters we didn't they didn't recruit um Football players because they're aggressive. No, it just It was just random any job and Mm -hmm. they showed up there, so You know basically what I'm getting out of this is he's saying like no It's like you can't really say it's that either right because it's just a waiter and a salesperson,
1: but at the same time the guy who's a waiter could have these other qualities You know like how you're talking.
0: Yeah, but you take 500 people from Hamburg between the ages of 35 and 40 You're not gonna find that it's like all these guys had those kind of yeah, Fascist qualities about him. Not happening. Yeah, man. It's crazy. (sighs) Some people become, this is Eric, or sorry, Erwin Staub accepts the notion that some people become perpetrators as a result of their personality. They are self selected. Mm -hmm. And he says that under particular circumstances, most people have a capacity for extreme violence and the destruction of human life it's an interesting one hmm under certain circumstances everyone has a propensity for violence
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure we there's people that would argue that in all different directions but you know you take a, a middle-aged woman that's never been in a fist fight before and you have somebody attack her child that's gonna kill or harm their child mm-hmm. I think you see a propensity for violence and from a lot of them yeah yeah so. maybe even a very, I mean, you know, what 99% sure. I'm gonna yeah. say 99%. I'll go with that too. Yeah, yeah. 99% if, if you're if it's a middle aged woman who has someone that's about to severely hurt or kill their child and their way to stop it is with a pistol, right? My assessment is we're going to 99% yeah. of that perpetrators getting killed.
1: Yeah, like with, with, um. Specific effort towards like the violent part of it, you know, how, like um, you know, I don't, I'm not saying on a movie necessarily, but you know that old thing. Well, let's say imagine a scenario like that where the lady's gonna, you know, shoot this guy because the guy's attacking the kid or something. It won't be like, oh, let me do the bare minimum force, you know, to to eliminate the threat. She's probably gonna be kind of, she'll Just go overboard killing that
0: guy. <laughs> gonna kill him extra?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because that's kind of the violence coming out of someone. It's one thing to do it because I'm yeah. scared and oh my gosh, get away from me, kind of thing. That's not violence. Yeah. So it's that's really the question when you consider a middle middle aged girl, um, you know,
0: no, having I, I a propensity I, for I, violence. I, I don't think she's gonna do extra. I think she's gonna kill him and go and go grab her kid and make sure her kid's safe. Right. I don't see this extra level, you know desecration of the body or anything like that. I just right, say right. hey, I'm going to make my kids safe.
1: Yeah, so you're saying the propensity for violence in that case is just the mere act of killing the guy.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's 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 it. Yeah. But you know
1: how, like I'm thinking of a movie for whatever reason. Because that's oh. all that's all
0: your brain is filled with. <laughs> but you know
1: <laughs> or television in general, but you know the girl She's like scared. It's all done out of fear, you know, and yeah. sure it's almost like the violence is just happenstance It's not her propensity for violence necessarily, but it's just the violence yeah, but I'm just saying
0: if you set up an experiment Yes, where you took a middle-aged group of women. Yeah, and like, they had children. It, yeah, like and you put take? them in a scenario Where you know it was either the either the kid dies or they kill the perpetrator, right? You know not like a hey, I might be able to debate him out of it No The 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 axe is in the air. It's gonna be swung down on the kid. Right, right. You have to press this button to to kill that guy.
1: Yeah, where violence is the choice. Violence is is the the choice. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think the propensity is gonna be ninety nine, and I'm I'm gonna go even higher. Agree. So this then he gets into um, some of these real famous experiments, kind of sociological experiments. Uh, One of them is the Zimbardo's. Stanford Prism experiment I'm yeah. sure you've heard of that I, everyone's heard of that where they basically take people and divide them up and Just randomly and actually I, I didn't know this because I never did any deep research on the study, but mm-hmm. They they kind of do a, a pre-screening to make sure that there's no extreme personalities mm-hmm. Everyone that was everyone that was like I mean whatever however you could you could frame the word normal mm-hmm. the people that participate in the experiment are just like normal people they didn't have any extreme personalities right, right. well those kind of semi normal people they put them in that prison experiment and sure enough some people were made guards some people were made prisoners and they had to get them to do certain things and there's a certain number I mean it didn't take long for the guards I think it took six days some of the guards turned sadistic evil right uh, And here we go back to the book most dramatic and distressing to us was the observation of the ease with which sadistic behavior could be elicited in individuals who are not sadistic types the prison situation alone Zimbardo concluded was a sufficient condition to produce abherent antisocial behavior that's from the guards from the guards so this is pretty scary that another fact here pointed out about that only two ie less than 20% emerged as good guards who did not punish prisoners even as they and even did small favors for them so those numbers are pretty in line with this really small percentage of people that just they're just good people yeah right it's only 10 to 20% of actual good people how's that make you feel about the human race not real good
1: yeah
0: (laughs) not real good (laughs) all right Uh, another thing put out here back to the book among the perpetrators of course orders have traditionally been most frequently cited explanation for their own behavior so remember orders are orders orders were orders and no one in such a political climate could be expected to disobey them they insisted this is the this is the guards I mean sorry this is the, the police battalion saying look we're getting ordered to do this stuff we're just following orders hmm. we hear that all the time disobedience surely meant the concentration camp if not immediate execution possibly for their families as well so they're saying look if we would we would end up in the concentration camps ourselves if this happened now he points this out Back to the book. There is a general problem with this explanation, however. Quite simply, in the past 45 years, no defense attorney or defendant in any of the hundreds of post-war trials has been able to document a single case in which refusal to obey an order to kill unarmed civilians resulted in the allegedly inevitable dire punishment. So there's no precedence for that. Now, I, I, I don't think that these guys out there in the battalion are sitting there thinking about this with a like legal perspective right, saying well right. actually there's no precedent for You know punishment being carried out on people that have been on yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a stretch Yeah, I think that's a stretch. We wait,
1: wait, wait, when you're talking about like maybe someone uh, Contemplating uh,
0: Using these guys that were saying I couldn't refuse the orders because I would get punished right and he's saying that there's no precedence right. That you actually will get this severe punishment, right. but how's a you know right when uh, you're someone in out the in the field going to yeah. know that that's a yeah that's a precedence? You don't. You just think yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah,
1: you're not thinking about the the time you remember the guy that you've heard of getting killed. Yeah, for, yeah you're yeah. not thinking of that. No. You're thinking about yourself. You're not, and even
0: more so. You're not thinking about the fact that you've never heard of that before. Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah, 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 huh. All right, now, so we're talking about obedience of orders, and here we go back to the book. If obedience to orders out of fear of dire punishment is not a valid explanation, what about obedience to authority? In the more general sense, used by Stanley Milgram, deference simply as a product of socialization and evolution, a deeply ingrained behavior tendency to comply with the directives of those positioned hierarchically above them. Even to the point of performing repugnant actions in violation of universally accepted moral norms so you've heard of the Milgram experiments no No, these are these are kind of like the Stanford prison pretty famous and what he did was he set up these experiments where he had you couldn't see these actors were behind a wall but they were getting asked questions and the the if they answered the question wrong they would get a little electric shock yeah that was done by the person that was being experimented on uh-huh. so you know I would be they'd say okay Jocko you got this guy his name is echo he's over there You're gonna ask him a question if he gets it wrong you hit him with shock. this shock I can't see you but I can mm. hear you mm. so when I shock you and and every question that you get wrong I, I have to escalate the level of shock So it's mm. getting worse and worse and worse and worse yeah. and your reaction is more and more horrific as these things escalate Right, but you're the guy the experiment is on, the experiment is on me. No, yeah, you're just yeah. an actor. There's no right, actual right. shock okay, 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 gotcha. So and you're actually just, going through uh, um, Series of complaints and I'll, I'll, I'll read this here There was an escalating series of fake electric shocks upon an actor or victim who responded with carefully programmed voice feedback, an escalating series of complaints, cries of pain, call for help, and finally, fateful silence. In the standard voice feedback experiment, two-thirds of Milgram's subjects were obedient to the point of inflicting extreme pain. Several variations on the experiment produced significantly different results. If the actor slash victim was shielded so that the subject could hear and see no response, obedience was much greater. So if I couldn't hear you and I just knew that I was shocking the hell out of you, Mm -hmm. I was good with it. If the subject had both (laughs) visual and voice feedback, compliance fell to the, compliance to the extreme fell to 40%, so down from 66% to 40%. If the subject had a, had to touch the actor victim physically by forcing his hand onto an electric plate to deliver the shocks, obedience dropped to thirty percent. Now this is this is fascinating. If a non authority figure gave orders, obedience was nil. So if some guy was like, "Hey, you know, hey, I'm Bill. I'm running the experiment. Um, hey, shock this guy." If the guy was no authority, they, they got no. They got no. None No obedience. so that shows you and that's from a leadership perspective. That's very important to yeah, understand huh. It's important to understand how much influence you have when you're in a leadership position And I run in this all the time and I ran into it in the seal teams when a guy doesn't recognize The the power of his rank mm. and he doesn't recognize that just by wearing his rank when he says something people are kind of like gonna Do it they're kind yeah. of they go well they want to do it mm. So then Uh, Going back to the book here if the naive subject performed a subsidiary or accessory task But did not personally inflict the electric shocks obedience was nearly total So that goes down to the division of labor again if it was just me saying okay I asked him a question you have to shock him again and some other guy was shocking you I'd go straight to a (laughs) hundred straight to 100 (laughs) in contrast if the subject or peer was part of an if the subject was part of an actor peer group that staged carefully planned refusal to continue to follow the directions of the authority figure the vast majority of subjects 90% joined their peer group and desist and desisted as well so that's the tipping point thing if there was other so if it was if it was three of us that were conducting the experiment on you and the other and I was the 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 naive guy that doesn't know what's going on I'm the one that they are actually doing the experiment on mm-hmm. and there's two guys two actors that are in the room with me and they're gonna be like hey man we shouldn't be doing this and the other guy goes yeah man that looks like it's really hurting but we should yeah. stop this yeah. 90% of the time I go yeah you guys are right yeah psychology group psychology if the subject was given complete discretion as to the level of electric shock to administer all but a few sadists <laughs> consistently delivered a minimal shock When not under direct surveillance of the scientist, many of the subjects cheated by giving lower shocks than prescribed, even though they were unable to confront authority and abandon the experiment. So they'd give lower shocks, but they wouldn't walk away from it. Mm. They wouldn't just say, I'm not going to do this.
1: Yeah. So everyone's really you know what it is. We're all just on the edge man in a way Yeah, like and we kind of need each other in that way, too. Well, it's
0: it's again. This is you know This is about leadership. It's amazing how influential or or how Influensible people are they're so ready for influence they are so ready to be told like hey, man We shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, it's the same thing We saw with the with the podcast on the meal massacre all it took was one officer saying stop killing and everyone okay Stop killing right Everyone just—they I mean. just need to get nudged in that direction. And by the way, they had already been nudged in the other direction, which is kill everyone. And they said, right. "Okay, cool, we'll kill everyone." Yeah,
1: and that's what I mean by on the—I don't mean on the edge of like sanding nothing. I mean on the fence. Yeah, you know, on they, the fence. They, they, that's that. why
0: leadership is so important because yeah. you're walking around with people all over the world, and, and whatever position you're in, regardless if it's in a work environment, if it's a, a social environment, if it's with your friend, or your peer group, yeah. you have so much power over people just by being a leader and by yeah. using that influence to work people one way or the other. Yeah, it's crazy man yeah it is crazy going back to the book to what were the vast majority of traps men responding to when they did not step out was it the authority as represented by either trap or his superiors were they responding to trap not primarily as an authority figure but as an individual a popular and beloved officer who they assumed who they would not leave in the lurch what about other factors? Milgram himself notes that far that people far more frequently invoke authority than conformity to explain their behavior, for only the former seems to absolve them of personal responsibility. And he quotes here, subjects deny conformity and embrace obedience as the explanation of their actions. So people don't like to say, everyone else is doing it so I did it. People don't like to say that because that that, that means I'm responsible for it. People don't like to take ownership of things. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's why we have a book called Extreme Ownership. People don't like to take (laughs) ownership of things. Right? Yeah. Instead they want to say as soon as I blame something on my boss And this is one of the you know big things in extreme ownership leading up the chain of command mm. It's so easy to blame your boss yep. because how can I control my boss? I was following well, orders. I was following orders boss yep. told me to do this That's why we failed a mission. I was told to do this. He didn't give me the right gear That's yep. what we hear this all the time yep. And 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 Milgram says it too no one wants to say hey You know what I decided I was just gonna do what everyone else was doing Yeah, that's my decision instead. Yep. They put that decision on the other guy on the boss man. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Another exploration here back to the book direct proximity to the horror of killing significantly increased the number of men who would no longer Comply on the other hand with the division of labor and removal of the killing process to the death camps The men felt scarcely any responsibility at all for uh, for their actions same thing Milgram figured out you know if I got someone else that's pressing the button over there that's shocking you I'm good with it. Yeah keep rolling Now one thing that Milgram kind of talks about is his the kind of indoctrination or what kind of what kind of ideological justification did he give to his people? it's, it's really just pre-existing in Milgram's experiments. These are just kind of normal people. So what about with the Nazis? And what kind of indoctrination did they get brainwashed, right? We've talked about this a little bit already, but back to the book, all order police battalions were to be strengthened in character and ideology. One topic for the first week they went through like a school and education ideological education one topic for the first week was race as the basis of our worldview followed by the second week maintaining the purity of blood so there you go these guys are being indoctrinated but the reason that that argument doesn't really hold much weight is because of the the way who the people were back to the book whatever the merits of such an argument it clearly does not hold for the predominantly middle-aged men of reserve police, police battalion 101 they were they were educated and spent their formative years in the pre 1933 period many came from a social milieu that was relatively unreceptive to National Socialism they were they knew perfectly well the moral norms of German society before the Nazis so you can't really blame it on them being brainwashed so Here's how Here's how uh, Browning wraps up this book. I'm gonna close it out The behavior of any human being is of course a very complex phenomenon and the historian who attempts to explain It is indulging in a certain arrogance when nearly 500 men are involved to undertake Any general explanation of their collective behavior is even more hazardous what then is one to conclude most of all one comes away from the story of reserve police battalion 101 with a great unease this story of ordinary men is not the story of all men the reserve policemen faced choices and most of them committed terrible deeds but those who killed cannot be absolved by the notion that anyone in the same situation would have done as they did, for even among them, some refused to kill and others stopped killing. Human responsibility is ultimately an individual matter. At the same time, however, the collective behavior of Reserve Police Battalion 101 has deeply disturbing implications. There are many societies afflicted by traditions of racism and caught in the siege mentality of war or threat of war. Everywhere, society conditions people to respect and defer to authority, and indeed could scarcely function otherwise. Everywhere, people seek career advancement. In every modern society, the complexity of life and the resulting bureaucratization and specialization attenuate the sense of personal responsibility of those implementing official policy. Within virtually every social collective, the peer group exerts tremendous pressures on behavior and sets moral norms. If the men of reserve police battalion 101 could become killers under such circumstances what group of men cannot and there you have it and I think those are some extremely important warnings that are laid out there I mean obviously the first one we, we have to be aware of traditions of racism and the threat of war and I think those are pretty obvious and stand out pretty clearly yeah I think the other ones are a little bit trickier right I think we got to watch out for the, the fact that we are conditioned. To respect and defer to authority I say to that no and, and I actually you know I when I grew up I was a rebellious kid sure and I listened to rebellious music and I was a rebellious kid I talk about that and I think that was very beneficial for me in my military career and I explain that all the time that I asked questions if I don't believe in something, I'm going to ask questions. And by the way, I don't. I want the people that work for me or with me. I want them to ask questions too. I don't want to be surrounded by yes men. Mm. And I'm not going to be a yes man. I never was. No, let, me, let me caveat that. Not that I never was, mm. because sometimes you got to be a yes man in order to get the inner circle where you can actually have influence. Mm. So, have I played that game before? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah, boss. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, boss. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Oh, I trust Jocko He, he agrees with me all the time.
1: Mm.
0: Hey boss, you're going off the rails over here. You stop it Oh, I'm gonna listen to Jocko because he listens to me. So have I played that game before? Yes, of course I have mm-hmm. So we need to be careful that we don't Submit always to authority It's a hard thing to raise your kids with too, right? Yeah, because you want your Very. kids to submit to your authority But you don't want them to yeah I have to always remind myself when they rebel against me I have to say to myself good (laughs) Mm. because I want them to ask questions I want them to question authority I don't want them to just obey
1: right yeah
0: and that freaks people out it freaks people out when you say you know I'll go and work with a company and I'll be saying like no I want your people you want your people to ask questions Mm. if you want to just order them around and they're just going to obey you first of all I'm not going to help you there yeah. Because that's not a system that's functional. It'll be functional for a week. It'll be functional for two weeks But eventually you'll have people that don't understand why they're doing what they're doing mm. They don't put their effort to it. They can't make decisions on their own and you end up with a bad team. Yeah We don't want that kind of authoritarian leadership anywhere
1: yeah.
0: And certainly not well, not anywhere Again does it work for five minutes does it work for a week? Yeah, does it, is it sometimes needed because people got to? We got to get something done right now. Yeah, but you better follow that up with some non-authoritarian leadership, yeah. with with explaining and building relationships with people.
1: Yeah, that ex- explanation thing they talk about all the time. We're explaining why. Yeah. Explain why I'm telling you to do this. It's important because of this is X Y Z. Man, it. Uh, and I'm speaking from a perspective of being a parent. How effective that is. <laughs> You just say this is this is why you're doing and it. That's effective.
0: And how how old is four, your daughter now? Yeah, four. it's already effective with a four year old. Yeah, and even yeah, give I, you some warnings. You can't always rationalize with <laughs> a four year old. Sometimes they just want
1: that cookie. Yeah, correct. and there's no why about it. It was strangely with the um we we have a situation right now where um her cousin is in mm-hmm. and um you know he put. In a nutshell, his diet isn't quite a, um as She's not on the he's not on a program. He's not on the program like how my <laughs> daughter is. <laughs> not on program, but you know he'll eat junk food or whatever, right. right? And it's kind of part of the experience I understand where, you know, hey, cousins in from out of town, it's a little bit more festive Cookie and time. loose and it's yeah. So after a while I started realizing I like, can't. Hey, cousins show up this, at my house and
0: get on the program. <laughs>
1: It should be like that. So after a while, I was like, "Hey, you know, we there's there's too many treats going on Mm. these days. You you know, for the summer, I had to intervene a little bit. And so when I told my daughter, I was like no you know, we're not going to do this.' And I explained why. You could tell she didn't. She wasn't happy with it, but she totally understood. Four years old, where. And I did it in a way where um
0: it wasn't like... Did you reference Way of the Warrior Kid a little bit?
1: <laughs> I always do. She was wearing that shirt to school today, oh, too, by the way. Well, then that's an easy, easy win right there. <laughs> easy money, yeah. But um, it was... It I didn't scare her, you know. I I wasn't like, oh, then you're gonna be a loser or something, you know, something like that. Oh, you know what
0: my kids say to each other? Oh, you might as well just go out and volunteer for type two diabetes. (laughs) Yeah, they get crazy. I know where they learn that from. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know exactly where they learned that from. But it was just the kind, you know, like where my older
0: kids do it to my younger daughter.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're gonna get type two diabetes. Uh, The peer pressure. She's all like.
0: She thinks she's gonna get it today. Yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> you know, it is messed up. <laughs> effective or ineffective, though. Yeah. Right, that's your thing. True.
1: No, but it. Anyway, the point being, it is it is effective. I mean, you know, like how you say too, you don't have to be a dick about it. It's not a scolding. It's right. not nothing like that. It's a full on explanation, actually, so they understand. Actually,
0: contrary to that. It's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. The reason I'm talking to you is because I care about you so much that I want you to be healthy. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm talking to you.
1: You ever get, like, your parents say that? Say those exact words. I I do this because I care about you. Meanwhile, they're yelling at you. Yeah. spanking you.
0: And employers do it too. Bosses do that too. I'm doing this for your own good. Yeah. No, the first thing they do is they want to jump down someone's throat. And then everyone's reaction is the same to that. Yeah. No one likes it. Nope. No one likes it. Whereas if you take a different approach and you say hey echo You know why I'm talking to you right now. It's not because I'm mad at you Right, it's because I'm actually I see nothing but potential with you. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I see yeah, And yeah. when I when I see that you're not making the like you're not making many videos <laughs> It's not it's not because I'm I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> oh, I want more videos mm-hmm. the reason I'm thinking is because I actually See how much potential you have yeah. and you could really do some powerful stuff and have some huge influence Dang. but you're so right, Jocko. <laughs> so right. As opposed to you better make more videos. Yeah. Or else I'm gonna have my kid do it. <laughs> <laughs> Would you, you be lazy, like, bro? Yeah, exactly. No, Then you'd be like, fine, I could do it. they won't be as good as my yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's not what we're that's not the game we're playing here. Yeah. You know? I yeah. do see a lot of potential in you. That's and I think you could make more videos. God, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta watch out for obeying authority. You gotta question authority. All the time. And you've. Th- then he talks about people seeking career advancement. That's another big one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's another big one I say no to, right? There's such a much better way to get career advancement, and that is by doing a good job. Yeah. That's how you get career advancement. By. Instead of seeking career advancement seek to do a good job seek to make a difference seek to do what is right The career is gonna come in one form or the other now might you get passed up? Might some other guy that tooted his own horn and took the credit might that happen? Yes It might happen you might you might get delayed But that guy's gonna continue to build that reputation and and the boss is missed it on the first round of advancements So he got it yeah. maybe he even gets the second round by the third round. They're looking at him going this guy's a self-serving Loser we need to get him off the team and by the way we realize that the guy that's been behind all his work is echo over there So we're gonna promote him now Now you're gonna win now you've got a really solid reputation so you can't but the 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 idea of seeking career advancement you see that in the military all the time there's people that are just trying to get advanced trying to get advanced trying to get don't care who's back they're stepping on and I'm telling you I saw saw some of those guys get advanced in in my community they advanced up through the ranks they were stepping on people's backs to get there the reputation eventually was so bad that it didn't get them propel they didn't propel as far as they wanted to The great guys the guys that were really truly just trying to do the best for the community those guys got promoted and they would make it you know the furthest yeah. because their reputation was so solid yeah and everyone knew that these guys were doing the right things for the right reason not so they could get promoted but they ended up getting promoted
1: yeah yeah promotion is more of like a like a
0: eventuality more yeah, it's than eventuality like a yeah it's just like jujitsu if You're yep. just trying to get your belt. Yeah, and that's what you're trying to prove Yeah, that's not gonna work out well for you getting mad when another guy you gets might get, promoted You might get I your blue belt Kyle. before some other white belt cuz you're you know showing off all the time yeah. But eventually you're showing off all the time. Yeah, and the coach goes hey, man Why, why don't you help everyone? Yeah. or the coach goes hey I see you I see you're tapping a lot of people out that are the same level as you all the time But you're not yeah. going with anyone that's harder than you because you want to prove to me that you're tapping everyone out well, Wrong you,
1: move You know what you might see sometimes? Is, you know how like you know when you come up through the jiu-jitsu ranks you t- you you just you just find a certain move move or yeah, handful of yeah. moves and you just those moves you get yeah, better at them I, quicker I, than other <laughs> yeah I think we all kind of are in one way or another um and so this is this is what if you're pursuing the belt this is what you do when the instructors around you only do your good moves mm-hmm. yeah, you want to look good yeah you want to look good that's all you do you know and you do, and when you say it'll show itself later, you know, so what you what can happen is you get your blue belt, you get your purple belt, because like you show off to your instructors or whatever, yeah. and in the tournaments too.
0: By I just the way. realized, I just realized something about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a rude awakening. Uh
1: huh. But what will happen is later on, you ever get, okay, so this might be it might have been a long time for you, but maybe not. So, okay, so I'm taking, I'm training with. Uh, In oh, I'm sorry. I went to class Jeff Glover's teaching the class mm-hmm. and Jeff Glover's like hey, let's do this And he does some crazy kind of advanced move yep. But it takes like if you're an advanced person, you know how to you know how to move your yeah, body yeah. in jiu Kind of in an advanced way you can do the move even though you've never done the move before right. you know that kind of mo- so is that kind of move. It's one where you got to like go between the guy's legs lift up mm-hmm. into in like, Heel hook or whatever like yeah. lock you choose so I don't do that move at all. Mm-hmm. And I've been training, I've been in this game for a long time. So, I go and I do it and not I don't want to say I was surprised, but like I could do it. I could totally and but Jeff was like, "Whoa! Kind of like, dang, cuz I'm a bigger guy too, yeah. you know?" And that made me think of this kind of thing where some guys they can be a black belt and they'll say hey d- Hey, show this move real quick, and it'll be a black belt, and they can't do it because they've avoided that and not oh, to say that yeah, This yeah, is yeah. the case yeah. all the time I'm just saying that's like an example of how you can avoid getting better and only show off like XYZ to get you to that kind of next Specific level yeah, I, like I don't blue know belt or whatever this is a
0: similar thing maybe but I realized when you were talking about this what I'll do mm-hmm. is both with Dean and with Jeff. If I do, if I'm doing something that they showed me, I'll like, call, I'll like call them out like a little kid. I'll be like, <laughs> "Jeffy, check this out, oh, here it is." Pet. Yeah, I'd be like, "Oh, you like that one?" <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Hit that and you know what else I do it with Dean with my kids when my kids are training, and you know will I'll say. 18, teen, check. Oh, look at that. Look at that. He's going to oh, get right. it. You know what I mean? Right, I'm kind of right. like all happy. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I'm just happy that, yeah, that I'm learning or that they're learning. Yeah, that's different. But it's pretty cool when you can pull off what you just learned, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's fully. cool. And it's cool for a teacher. I was am stoked when somebody does something oh, yeah. that I showed them.
1: Big time. So I guess the difference is if, in fact, this is even the difference. um is why did you do that? It, yeah, it's yeah, not the, the, to get your kid promoted. Yeah, you know, no, and it's to, not
0: even to get me promoted because I can't get. Yeah, you kind of can't anymore. get promoted right now. Yeah. So I guess, I guess it's sort of like maybe, maybe, maybe the the negative aspect would be like I'm looking for some credit for yeah, pulling off for the move, the, the, the little guy move, totally or the different move, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it's. I think it's pretty bad. <laughs> I like <laughs> I it. Pretty I think it's lame. I think I'm pretty lame <laughs> for that. Um. Yeah, so watch out for that. Watch out for the career advancement. Don't let that be the focus of your life, man. It's has gone. It's not going to make you. It's not going to get you what you want. Now, again, are there instances where you play the game so that you can move up, so that you can have more control? Yes, I did that. Hey, look, I be, I went from enlisted to officer. Mm. That's the ultimate. In hey, I'm going to play the game. I'm going to get more. I want to. I want to be in charge of more stuff. So how am I going right. to do that? I'm going to be. I'm going to skip all these ranks. I'm going to become an officer. Yeah. I did that. Yeah, I played that game. Mm-hmm. I was about my career, but I was about my career so I could make, you know, fifteen guys in a single platoon happy. Yeah, because I was happy when I had a good leader in my SEAL platoon. Um, the other one he talks about here is this bureaucratization and specialization, attenuating the sense of personal responsibility. This is another thing that we have to be careful of. Just because you're part of a system doesn't mean you should just you know blame the system when something goes wrong it's, you know if you're working somewhere and something isn't going hey that's the way we do it hey that's the way the system works hey we can't change that I never accepted that as an answer mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what the when you come up against that you can't the way you fight it when you come up against it is you build a relationship Yeah. right so any you ever you ever have a You're trying to deal with some customer service or something and you're getting that sorry, we can't help you Yeah, and you go down to the store and you're like hey, what's going on? Hey Bill? Hey, I am Jocko man. I called you earlier. I just I got to get this thing resolved. Here's what's going on Yeah, you, you don't you don't go down there and say you need to take care of this. No you say hey Bill. What's going on? Hey, I'm Jocko <laughs> Yeah, man. I really like the piece of gear, but man it worked good. There was a couple issues I had with them. I'm trying to get them resolved because you know my daughter's birthday's in two weeks and I need, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. You form a relationship with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get the bureaucratic. Don't let them stay in their big bureaucratic system. Yeah. We don't want to let that happen because then, the, you, then the bureaucratic machine, yeah. then, then they're not, they're not the ones that are offending you. It's the machine. They can't control the machine. It's not their machine. Yeah. They're yeah, just yeah, part of the machine. Bro,
1: you wanna, you want Where this concept fundamentally is the same as this. You know, when you're in traffic, you know. And you're trying yeah, to get over, kind of. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you want to get in the lane, but you know, from the other guy's perspective or the other car's perspective, hey, this car is trying to cut me off. This car, mm. and this car is going to get in my way, right? But you get your whoever you're riding with, all you got to get them roll down the window, make eye contact with the person, and be like, "Hey, just wave at them or something." Look, I'm a person. You're a person. Yeah. We're not, totally. we're not standing in line. We're not standing line. we're just we're yeah. all going the same spot That's machines. what you feel. Yeah. yeah, we're not machines. You just give them that that hint of a personal element I'll let you right in they'll wave you in you wave yeah. back you guys are friends that and before keep in mind two seconds before that You're pissed. Yeah, you're like this guy's about to get in front of me and there's no reason to be mad about that By no. the way, it's not like you're standing in somewhere. line to get there.
0: Yeah, he's got to be somewhere too You're, you're going, going in the same direction in the rush. Yeah, but you gotta put it on your deal. Same thing. Step out of the machine, man. Yeah. The machine
1: of trust. step out. Hey, I'm a person you're
0: a person. Yes. You know? Make the personal relationships yeah. up and down the chain of command throughout your company. Don't let the don't let the finance department. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the department. The yeah, policy. The finance department shut us down on this thing. Yeah. Well, give me the name. Who did that? I'm gonna walk down there and see him. Yeah, yeah. See what up the marketing department won't give us any more. Okay, cool. Let's find out who that is. No yeah. it's not a bureaucratic It's not a marketing department no, it's that's Bill. a machine. It's no, Bill. it's Bill. Bill's in there. 100%. And when you when Bill knows what you're trying to do and knows that you are trying to make something happen, you mm. make that connection. Yeah. Now we're good to go. Yeah. Bill's gonna take care of you. Yeah. No reason to freak out. <laughs> the other thing, finally, here is this this idea of this peer group, this social collective peer pressure. We all know it exists and that's fine, but make it Good right peer pressure is powerful it's powerful and the good thing is you get to control it yeah. in both directions you need to recognize it when it's happening to you in a negative way and then you need to use it in a positive way to help people do good things use peer pressure peer pressure is legit for making people do positive things what you don't want to do is use peer pressure to make people do negative things. And there's a lot of that in the world and I'll tell you why there's a certain part of people that don't like to see other people succeed yeah huh. so they go man just come out tonight dude but yeah. dude I gotta work in the morning Dude, just come out yeah we're just gonna get a couple drinks yeah. here's another one let's do a shot you're always on that diet yeah the people hey, just, hey loosen up lighten up Yeah, they want to no. see they, there's a there's a certain part of people that want to see everyone else fail yeah and if you're you've got to pay attention to that in yourself yes you got to pay attention to that in your own self because if you don't you won't realize it yeah huh. but you' actually I, I've seen people give other people bad advice oh, because they're dang. jealous That's right, they're jealous right, certain right. programs I seen a good friend of mine was going for a certain program in the military mm. and he came to me and said man I was gonna try this program but uh, a couple guys are telling me I shouldn't And I said, "Bro, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They are jealous. They they are jealous. They don't want you to do this program because it's going to make you more successful. Go do the program." Huh? And he said, "Okay." (laughs) And he did it. (laughs) Jocko peer pressure. Yeah, that's. I want to give peer pressure of goodness, not of badness. And and the thing is, I mean, I guess you could look at peer pressure in a way is it's leadership. Whether you're standing up to it. Or whether you're spreading the positive peer pressure, that's leadership, and that's what we're here to do, man. Yeah. We're here to do. We're here to lead. And when you use that in a positive way, you can prevent this kind of it's kind of sick, sadistic, horrible, horrific events like this, like we read about today, from happening. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy that this that this occurred. Yeah, and it's crazy that it you know even even throughout the book and it it's just referring to the Jews right it's just referring to the Jews the
1: mm-hmm. Jews
0: the Jews lined up the Jews laid down the Jews gotten uh, got shot in the back of the neck the Jews the Jews the Jews let's remember that every single one of those Jews was a name was a person right. was Bill was you know, we we do the same thing. We're putting them in in a sort of big chunk of machinery. Yeah. That they're just they're part of the product of what's happening over here. Okay. And yeah. Don't do it on either side.
1: Yeah.
0: Or in don't traffic. let it happen on either side. Don't let it happen in traffic. Don't let it happen in your life. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. That's what leadership is about. It really is and leadership the thing about leadership is leadership is happening at all times we, we, we the minute you are interacting with another person leadership is taking place you're either being led which is fine or you're leading which is fine
1: mm.
0: as long as you're going in the right direction mm. but if you constantly think you're and you're leading yourself by the way of course you're leading yourself you're constantly leading yourself but the minute you meet with someone else you there's a leadership situation happening You're either leading that person or you're being led and that's okay It's okay to be led as long as you're being led in the right direction Great. If you start seeing yourself being led in the wrong direction and you go with it. You're at fault.
1: Yeah,
0: you're at fault You can't blame that person You went along with it yeah. You're culpable for your actions So again, I know it's a brutal uh Brutal topic to cover, and I'm sure we'll be back at it again at some point, but let's not let's not forget that these that this happened, and that if we're not careful, it can happen again,
1: yeah, and you get little things like in way lower levels where yeah that stuff happens all the time, you know like little riots break out, you know yeah, normal people destroying cars because that's kind of what everyone's doing, you know. The one guy's like, Hey stop, we gotta stop. I'm like, okay, we stop. Yeah. <laughs> the peer pressure thing, that's why people you get a workout buddy, you know? Or or you you, you join that's why CrossFit in a big way is like really it's a good group yeah, thing because everyone's thing, like yeah. hell yeah, you know like they cheer you on you can't in a way You look forward to just linking up with the group and the groups talking about like, you know doing good stuff
0: and Yeah working well, out and and you're right and as a matter of fact, there's a whole new phenomenon in the fitness world which is Basically all stems from CrossFit and they call it just group exercise, right? Yeah, hey, we got group exercise Yeah, classes. Group, yeah group exercise classes because hey, I want to work out with other people I want to have you know echo call me up and be like hey you gonna make it to class tonight. Yeah, well, I'm kind of feeling lazy Come on bro. Yeah,
1: yeah, Come I'm on. going
0: yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I don't want to be weak. Yeah, yeah. you know You're pressuring me to be strong. That's good Yep, true story. So use that In a positive way.
1: Yeah, yeah, you ever you ever been well you probably well, yeah, you probably have come on. We can be honest here. You, you, know, you know the kind where You're like, okay, I'm gonna link up with whoever to go train or to go work out or whatever mm-hmm. And you're like dang. I don't really when the time comes you're like dang I don't really feel like it. I in the back of my mind. I hope that they call and cancel. I hope and Then they call they don't cancel they call to confirm mm-hmm. and you go you didn't want to go you go at the end of the workout, you're like, "Dang, I almost didn't. I almost didn't make yeah. it today. Good thing, you know. That's common, man. That happens to me is, all the time." It is,
0: and I'll tell you, people ask me about this a lot. You got to recognize, you got to start to memorize that good feeling that comes after a good workout. Yeah, so that you don't have to force yourself through it. In such Anticipation such a good oh, way to good. put it yeah.
1: so To Memorize the M- feeling
0: memorize the feeling of like uh, I memorize two feelings one is I memorize how good it feels when you're done yeah. And two, I memorize how bad it feels when you're weak yeah, and, you don't, yeah. and you say no. Yeah, so that, that's a horrible I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling of Like I didn't do it. Yeah, it makes me feel like junk <laughs> junk. Straight up junk I was just on the road and It was like, don't do it. I just feel like, man, I squeezed in a couple workouts at night, pretty weak workouts, but just to get them done. You know what I mean? Just to move. The worst thing you can do is be sedentary. And I was moving during the day because we were in the water and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah, but you got to get them (laughs) done. Yeah. So memorize the feelings. There's nothing worse than the feeling of I slept in. Well. (laughs) Well, I guess there are worse (laughs) feelings for you. That's probably (laughs) the wrong statement. I don't like the feeling of I slept in and now I'm behind the power curve. Yeah, yeah, that's. I don't the feeling. like that feeling yeah. at all.
1: Yeah, like you memorize missed...
0: that feeling. Yeah, and then run from it. Speaking of memorize, are you going to go over everything that everyone has memorized you saying at this point when you talk about how they can support the podcast? <laughs> sure. Or Actually,
1: wait. I'm going to go in, and di- in in in. Yeah, I'm going to go in at a different angle. I'm going to say, speaking of peer pressure. 'Cause this is really what it is, the is group. You peer pressure, me, you peer pressure, everyone else listens. <laughs> we collectively peer pressure each other. And this is what we're doing. We're working out. There's no reason not to work out. No. Today. Nowadays. Not I mean this day today. Yeah, today yeah. could be your rest day. But you should work out today too. You should have yes. Yeah. You should later even, if you haven't already. Anyway, this is what we're doing. We're working out. Yes. If we have weight to lose, we know if we're overweight. We mm. do? Even if we're like five pounds overweight, think of like your ideal weight. Think of that. If you're not seven hundred and fifty pounds, <laughs> that- <laughs> <laughs> that's my ideal there you weight. Go.
0: When All you right. roll with someone that's massive, <laughs> yeah, and you think, well, "I wish I was this massive. I wish I was, you know, four hundred and fifty pounds," because then you just smash everyone.
1: Yeah, but that might get in the way in other aspects of life like if you're 450 pounds that would mean what how tall like what six eight
0: no I I would want to be like foot nine. Yeah. Okay. So I surfing is going to be an issue
1: for you. Oh yeah. A good so point. okay. So so kind of say goodbye to your current knowledge or your current schema of uh, surfing. Okay, okay. Say goodbye good to point, that. Good point. Good point. That's just one thing, man. Good point. There's other things. So you're just thinking jujitsu wise. I understand. Jujitsu
0: and and just MMA. Oh, well, you'd be out of the weight classes though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you'd have to fight yeah, in these okay. weird okay, offshoots. Okay, 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 whatever. Okay. I'm just saying. Just look be, at the big picture. I'll just be, what I am. Actually, you know what, bro.
1: Seven hundred fifty do you, bro. If you want to be that big, that's your ideal weight, you go with that. Seven hundred and fifty pounds, yeah, eight foot ten. The, and that's really the point. The point is you know your ideal weight, you do, not me. You know, I don't have an ideal weight for you. Maybe I do, but it serves my pounds? Yes, exactly right. <laughs> um, and be less mentally strong. But for everyone else, we all know how much we wanna weigh or you know, whatever, whatever. So this is what we're doing, peer pressure. We're going to do that. We're going to pursue that. We're working out. We are getting control of our ego, temper, and other various weaknesses. Also, to facilitate that, we're taking krill oil. If our joints are sore, that's what we're doing. We're problem-solving. Ultimately, it's just one big (laughs) problem-solving thing, you know. So, look, joints are sore, krill oil. Boom, joints not sore anymore. Move to the next thing. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, krill oil. From On It, you want 10% off the krill oil, save money, financial discipline equals financial freedom. Boom. We'll kind of put that right in the whole equation. Go to onit.com slash Jocko 10% off and support the podcast. You know, we're all in this thing together, kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Other stuff on On It, I took some new mood today. Interesting. I'm not necessarily in a new mood. I think I'm in the same mood, but I don't think that's what it is I think it's more just you know balancing out your whole
0: stuff. Yeah
1: I just took it because it was there and
0: that's the kind of thing that I won't take <laughs> You don't want to be balanced. No, huh? I want be unbalanced. I want current mood <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm current mood. Ang- What if you're feeling angry good yeah. then, I'm, then I'm good to go.
1: I'm fairly certain it's for brain health, you know and it uh. I think the new mood like mood part of it is more of like a kind of a happenstance kind of cool thing like you know anyway maybe I took some of that I have some of that I'm down for that there's a bunch of other stuff performance stuff you know so if you're like hey I'm getting after it I want performance supplementation that's what we're doing too we're doing all this stuff as a group so is Jocko our current leader
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a group without a leader
1: until someone tells him to stop then we're all stopping anyway also, good way to support, and this is to support yourself and support the group. Really, because you know, okay, so this book, these books, all these books, we read these books. Sure, we listen to Jock go over it, and it's dope. But you know, you want to get the book if you want
0: to get the book and read the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, I'm reading p- less than ten percent of the books. Yeah. Five percent. It's like a book report. Although I might have gone a little bit crazy with Sydney Jerry last week. Yeah Yeah, I wonder re- I just want to do it just full-on the audiobook <laughs> <laughs> Just start and I'll stop seven hours later yeah, Only yeah. three and a half. Yeah, that's it. So Got some good lessons though Yeah, they're all they're all good lessons. How many people see you know podcasts? Three hours and twenty-seven minutes, and go. Come on, Jock. Come on, yeah. <laughs> and how many people no, actually you know what they say? Come on, Echo. You just you talked about <laughs> <laughs> You talked about. You talked about supports for know, for man. two hours and twenty-seven minutes. <laughs> Come on,
1: Brad's not my fault. That's the machine. It, it, you know, I just did a small little Guilty. part. You know? Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> anyway, if you want the books, or one, or whatever. uh our website, jockpodcast.com There's a section, a page, if you will. Menu on the top says books from podcast. Boom, click on that. Click through there. Take you to Amazon. Purchase the book. That's a good way to support. And you get the book. Boom. Um, also, yeah, if you're going to do any other shopping on there, hey, feel free. That's a good way to support in a solid way. And that's what we're all doing. Straight up.
0: So, so now you're throwing this real heavy peer pressure on everyone. Yeah, but this is good peer pressure. You said good oh, okay, peer okay, pressure okay, is okay. good. Well, that is good because we're not. You just you're just helping. The yeah. podcast it doesn't cost you anything.
1: Exactly right.
0: Boom. And that's what we're doing.
1: Does also, it, what we're doing is subscribing. What were you gonna say?
0: I was gonna say continue talking.
1: All right, there you go. <laughs> I will. And so subscribe to the podcast. That's what we're all doing. I'm subscribed to the podcast that I'm on.
0: You know. Yeah, well, obviously, so we're all going
1: to do it. Um, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Also on YouTube, subscribe
0: to that one. That's a good one. That's where you make all those videos. All the videos. You told me you're doing three videos a week. Yeah, now. Yeah, man. That's so far yeah, I've not that. seen that. Nah, three. A Is week. this in the future? <laughs>
1: <laughs> podcast video video format that you're counts, counting yes. I'm Come counting it counts.
0: it counts so you're doing one podcast video and, and one and then two excerpts two excerpts
1: minimum is what I'm saying
0: okay that's kind of the so typical. we should have a lot of excerpts up there
1: Yeah, the and, they, and they grow every week Um, you know so the and the benefit to those maybe, by the way you need know? to
0: make your excerpts shorter why because they're too long a twelve minute excerpt's not even an expert the excerpt. That's just yeah, another that's podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same that goes back to the same
1: problem. It's a, it's essentially an You know what you need version. to do?
0: Edit them. Yeah, yeah. Get the meat. Dang. That's a good, yeah. that's a good Amer- idea. Amazing, isn't it? To so okay. just be like, boom, someone should be able to listen to it in thirty seconds and be like, Oh, I got the got the deal here. Yeah. So okay. So the problem is. is with you is you enjoy the you enjoy the arc of the conversation yeah see and people want to hear the arc of the conversation they just listen to the whole podcast
1: maybe i've been hanging around with you too long because last week the way you were <laughs> fucking you couldn't <laughs> edit out just that whole you know 45 minutes of whatever same thing you get into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so part of that is a joke but, but part of it is a series so you can you know how like okay i'm i'm, li- I'm listening to your whole little segment and i'm gonna cut it right mm. i'm gonna be like okay i'm gonna cut it right here and then your little follow-up comment is and then maybe I say something which is like, eh, whatever, I can cut myself out easily. But then your follow up to me is kind of cool. I'm like, hey, that's important too. I should leave that part And So it, it just turns into this thing
0: 12, 12 minute <laughs> <excerpts>. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs>
1: well,
0: whatever, that only happens Those are time. Jocko chicken mick half chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Jocko anyway. McChicken breasts with fine leg. Yeah, right. yeah,
1: they're not McNuggets anymore. No, actually, they are. But you know, that's an exception. Sometimes they're twelve minutes. Hey, man, they're so twelve minutes. The sometimes. other thing we could there do is, is we could
0: act- actually reshoot, the, like re-record just the pertinent parts if you can't edit it out without like yeah, no, no, feeling no. bad.
1: That's a step backwards, okay. I think. I'm it's, just making sure. It's repetitive, you know. Anyway, that's a good way to support. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Boom, shareable stuff on there. In the event of the excerpts not being twelve minutes, in them, in the event of them being three minutes or so. You can share them, more shareable. Mm-hmm. In fact, I saw when I it was like right after I posted it, and then I think he was like I don't know I think Brady maybe he shares it, and then I watched it. You I mean that's yeah. how shareable it is? I just posted it, he shared it, and you I watched it. it.
0: You did it, cutted it, edited it, yeah. posted it. And then got shared back to you, and you still watched it. <laughs> yeah, well, technically,
1: it wasn't shared to me directly. Actually, technically, well, it, it was. was. You're your own work.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's such a good accent. No,
1: <laughs> yes, so good. How I cut the beginning and the end yeah. of that. Anyway,
0: stop and start. Wow.
1: <laughs> anyway, subscribe to YouTube. That's the point. That's what we're doing. Also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. So, what's on here is clothing items, if you will. New shirt out. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the thing. This is what we're doing. We're wearing Jocko Podcast shirt. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. The
0: peer pressure is thick the, today, bro, yeah.
1: I'm telling you, it's good peer pressure. Look, see, see this shirt Jocko's wearing right now. Even see this, this has
0: become a Jocko Podcast shirt because we now manufacture a Victory MMA and Fitness T-shirts to stay yeah. old school. It's the Jocko uniform. Yeah, really. Yeah,
1: that shirt's on jocko.store.com. This shirt that I'm currently wearing, jocko.store.com. In fact, all the
0: shirts are on jocko.store.com. I, I a guy at the muster had this t-shirt on, yeah, in the respect. morning PT. And at first, I was like, you know, just like, oh man, oh, somebody's victory guy. And then I was like, oh, even cooler. <laughs> he's not yeah. a victory guy, but he's yep. representing. Representing, know, yep.
1: That's how. That's what we're doing. Representing big time. And if you. I'm not saying buy a shirt. I never say buy a shirt. I'm saying jockostore.com, check it out. If you like one or more of the items on there, including but not limited to shirts, get something. There's also rash guards, uh, hoodies. Kind of, I got to replenish those, I understand. Uh, but some rash guards on there. And...
0: The next hoodies are going to be thick and heavy Alaskan style. Okay. Minnesota style.
1: You know what I was thinking
0: Montana of? style. <laughs> not, yeah, not.
1: Not Hawaii style. Kauai style. Dang, okay. Kauai, not no. Kauai style. Or we could have both. Because look, you can't exclude the kama aina. Okay. You know what kama aina means? The, it means. It means. The people. Technically, when you think about it, kama aina. Aina means land. So people, people land. People of land, yeah. yeah.
0: I got a pretty good guess right there, didn't yeah, I? Yeah,
1: there you go. Kama aina. So anyway, you can't neglect those folks. Okay. They're cool well, folks. we need to make Hawaii
0: style one and a and a North Northerner sure style one.
1: Yeah, yeah, the two sides of the spectrum. Thick. Everybody wants to represent, or that's what we're all doing, you know, <laughs> representing. Um. Anyway, yeah, some rash guards on there. Like I said, the okay. What I was gonna say is, yeah, Jocko has a shirt, and we mentioned it before. Jocko has a shirt now. Well, technically, he designed a shirt, mm-hmm. varying. Levels of acceptance on my end.
0: Yeah, it's the echo shirt. Some people call it the dang shirt, but yeah. it's the echo shirt. There's some layers there. You might be able to figure them out. Technically, there's more layers on this shirt than any other shirt. This really? might be the most layered shirt. Oh yeah. no! The fact that I made it is a layer in itself, right?
1: <laughs> it is. I think. Uh, um, but well, I my evaluation is it's interesting. It was actually impressive. The design is impressive. Like the layers and stuff. Anyway, designed exclusively by Jocko.
0: (laughs) So now I'm a fashion designer too. Yes, correct. Artist fashion designer. Yep. Who would have (laughs) thunk? I'm neither.
1: (laughs) Technically, you're both. No, I'm not. Technically. I'm not either. Anyway, that one's on there right now, right this very moment. That one's on there. If you want to check it out, I'm not saying to buy it. I'm not saying
0: that. I'm saying, check it out. I think this shirt's going to be popular. With your head on it. By the way, it has Echo's head on it because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a layer in. in y- uh, yeah, y- you got y- y- to y- see it. You got to see it. No, no. What I'm saying is, though, is somebody that somebody that that like doesn't want to just be forthcoming. Like, for instance, a lot of the shirts that we have that have layers to them, you don't mm-hmm. know exactly what, like, know the darkness, right? No one yeah. knows what the hell that has to do with. Yeah, the Jocko podcast shirt. The one that says Jocko podcast on it, okay we know there's 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 some layers there but it's pretty it's also pretty forthcoming what it means yeah the, sh- the shirt that I made for you with your head on it no one's gonna have any idea what that is it's so people automatically have some good layers there just by wearing that they're, right they're, it's not you no one's gonna have any idea what this is why yeah. is that per- humans head on your yeah. chest
1: you're saying external people Yes, like people who do yes, in the absolutely. game. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The people in the game, they're going to get the whole uh, thing and they're uh, going to be course. like, "Holy cow, Jocko is it's on." It's like a- if
0: you listen to a band and you just you have a shirt that doesn't say the band name on it, but it's got the album cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. people know. People that know, no. People that listen, <laughs> know listen, Right? They know. If they listen, they know. Yeah. Same thing with this shirt. If they don't listen, they're not going to know. If yeah. they listen, you're going to get cred. Street, yeah, street cred. cred. <laughs> Uh, Jeez. Right.
1: But yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, JockleStore.com. That's a good one. That's what we're doing. Also, what we're doing straight up is in the in the moments of weakness that we may or may not have. Some of us have them more than others. But what we do is we turn to psychological warfare. If you don't know what that is, this is what it is. psychological warfare is an album with tracks. With tracks, dig it. And these tracks, what they do is they give you a spot. With Any weakness or weak moments you have so if you're waking up early every single day and that one day comes or whatever that you're like, Dang that alarm so or that my bed is extra comfy. I am you know Maybe I'll sleep in you don't want to have slept in but that's how you feel at that moment that moment of weakness play one of the tracks Wake up and get after it. I don't use that particular track. I use the workout one. So it's different but It'll help you through. It'll give you that spot. Just like when you're... And I said this before, and this makes perfect sense. This is what we're doing. Hey, when we jump onto the bench and we take on lofty challenges on the bench press, we're going to grab a guy to spot us. Not to say he's going to touch the bar, not to say any of that, but we we have a lofty challenge. So we got the, the spot to ensure our success. So to me, if you're not doing anything, if you're not pursuing anything, then this isn't for you. You just got to get up and whatever at whatever time you get up and go to wherever you do Whatever you do come home do your thing, which is cool. That's not what we're doing though So I say while we do our big things We're gonna get our spot. It's called
0: psychological warfare. I'm
1: not saying to use it. I'm saying but if you need it You got it to ensure your success It's
0: Okay, that's good. Thank you. Appreciate that one. Yeah I'm that was, done. Yeah thankfully. <laughs> Uh, hey also uh, you can get Jocko white tea on Amazon get some if you want some also originmaine.com if you're getting into jiu-jitsu or if you're into jiu-jitsu already and you need a gi or a rash guard I recommend you go to originmaine.com it's uh, my brother Pete Roberts up there in Maine where they make everything which is awesome they weave the fabric sew it, stitch it embroider it send it out these rash guards shorts made in America and and yes we are getting in league with origin Maine so there's a little bit of a perfect storm kind of brewing got somebody that makes something in America Something that I like.
1: In your neck of the woods, too, by the way. In my
0: neck of the woods. So we're getting on the warpath with Origin, Maine, and we're going to get after it. So check them out. Then weigh the warrior kid. Make a kid's life better. Get him or her this book so they can get better, faster, stronger. And before you give it to them, Little advice, read it yourself. Uncle Jake has something for all of us. (laughs) That's for sure. Also, discipline equals freedom field manual. I brought like a rough copy, I forget what they there's some name that they call this. Rough copy. This will be my third book I published. I still don't understand the publishing. Like they have certain words and stuff. They use terms. Sure. And we're gonna do this, blah blah blah. And I say what what does that mean? But this is the book this is a, the book inside the cover so a couple things does this have a flashy cover that's going to attract you know people to buy it no it doesn't it's got an all-black cover flat that's what it's got yep. is it got some you know some interesting fluff in there for you to feel good about yourself no that stuff's not in there either does it have these incredible life hacks that are going to teach you how to rise and fulfill your dreams through simple things that you can do no those aren't in there either -hmm. It's called the Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. It's about discipline, and if you follow it, you're gonna find freedom. Pretty simple. There you go. If you're on YouTube, there's the book right there. Oh, what does it look like? Hard to see against the black background because it's black.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not so you can see the cover. That's not what the book's for.
0: No, no. Although the cover does kind of see (laughs) (laughs) it. Yeah, it's actually uh, pretty. So that's to be honest. That's that. You can order that comes out October seventeenth the assumption is you might want to order it now so you get a copy when it first comes out otherwise people will have discipline before you and that's not gonna work out good for you uh, extreme ownership of course you have it by the way you have it that's good but get it for your team because that will make your life easier if you want to do that we also have echelon front consulting me Leif Babin JP Donnell Dave Burke get your team aligned So your leadership can crush your enemies and by the way Don't try and book us through a speakers agent if you know what that is if you know what that is don't do it Don't look online and find our literary agent and try and book don't do that. We have a company It's called echelon front book through the company info at echelonfront.com. email that that's how you get us to come and work with your company the muster We just got done with one. The next one is September 14th and 15th in San Diego. It is going to sell out. This is factual. It is going to sell out. It is factual. It is going to sell out because all three of the first ones have sold out. This one's going to sell out too. Register. Go to extremeownership.com if you want to come to it. If you don't want to come, stay at home. That's fine too. Cool. Whatever. (laughs) Also, if you train jujitsu or if you don't train and you want to start training, speaking of origin, Maine we're doing the origin immersion jiu-jitsu camp up in Maine echo and I are gonna be there training and cruising super hard Uh the we will be there the, f- the last day of the first session and the and the first day of the second session the sessions are August 20 through 23rd for the first session and twenty fourth through the 27th for the second session come on up we're gonna be there if you want to train some jiu-jitsu it's gonna be a good time and what I like about it. Is that the muster? The muster is a tight schedule, from four o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night. We're we're moving. Mm -hmm. This thing, we're gonna do what? Five hours, six hours of jujitsu a day. Sure. And then the rest of the time, what are we gonna do with the other eighteen hours a day? Yeah, you're saying
1: total, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, saying two it, hours in the morning, yeah, two yeah, hours yeah. at lunch, two hours in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, maybe not training the whole time, but right, learning but ju- new moves. Jiu-jitsu, yes. Yeah, doing exactly. jujitsu, showing, like, hey, can you go over this with me? Hey, I got a question for you. Hey, Echo, can you teach me that mountain escape that you got? Like, whatever. You know, those things that we're going to do, we're going to do that. Yeah. But, so that's six hours. And then we sleep for four hours, so that's ten hours. That's fourteen hours. this a fourteen hours gonna be just walking around in circles going BTF, BTF. No, that's what we're <laughs> gonna do is we're gonna hang out. So if you wanna come train some jujitsu, hang out, come to that camp up in Maine. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna uh we're gonna have a good time up there. And until then, we'll be rolling in another place. Victory MMA, yes. Also, we'll be rolling on the interwebs. The Twitter, the Instagram, and that facey bocciboha. Echo is at Echo Charles and I am at Jocko Willink. And finally, thanks to everyone for listening to this podcast, which is brought to you by our military, who are out there holding the line against evil worldwide it's also brought to you by police law enforcement firefighters paramedics and other first responders who make this country safe here on the home front so we can enjoy life liberty and the pursuit of happiness thanks to all of you in uniform for what you do and the rest of you that are out there leading leading wherever you are and whatever you do leading yourself and the people around you in the right direction forward toward the goal toward the light toward a better place setting the example and getting after it So until next time, this is Echo and Jocko out.